this isn't the same for everybody. You know, we all have different families. I, I know some of our Australian and Kiwi listeners are going to be carrying on with their weird summer Christmas like more or less normal this year. I, I know a lot of you with big families all under one roof are going to be like, you know, having a relatively normal Christmas as well. But but for people like me, people whose families are spread out all over the country and who live alone or just with their partner, this is going to be a hollow fucking Christmas. All the worst coming on the heels of that hollow Thanksgiving we just didn't have. Of course, there's a valuable lesson in the middle of it that I'm going to try to hold on to because ever since we started doing this show, I've gotten used to these emails that come around this time of year from newly minted atheists or people who have been atheists for a while that broke away from their family's faith. And very often that meant like severing all the ties with their family and, and, and some of, uh, if not all of their friends. I get these heart-wrenching emails from people about how they spent Thanksgiving binging on our archives, you know, or something like that, so that they wouldn't feel as alone over the holidays. And, and as much as I've always tried to sympathize with those people, this is the closest I've ever come to feeling that shit for myself. I, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I don't want to oversell the woe is me shit here, right? My family wants to see me. I, I can call them on the phone or hop on a Zoom call with them, and I probably will. They sent me cards. We exchanged gifts through the mail. We're all looking forward to getting together next year and making up for this fucked up shit year. In, in that sense, this is the difference between being homeless and camping. And even this minuscule taste of what it's like for those people is enough to fucking wreck me. It's always been so weird to me that religion harps on family togetherness as one of its main merits. Right, they're fond of saying the family that prays together stays together, but it's always the religious people saying that. So, you know, it sounds a lot like when the terrorists tell the hostages that if nobody tries to escape, nobody's going to get shot. It's only true because religious people will disown their kids if they stop praying. That's not a benefit. That's a threat. And yet religions, probably the number one cause of broken families in the country and indeed the world, can't say enough about how great they are at bringing families together. I mean, if there's a silver lining around anything in 2020, it's probably because it's kicking off some kind of previously unknown form of deadly radiation. But I intend to spend a lot of my time on Christmas, on that lonely, echoey Christmas, thinking about all the people who have to suffer through this shit every year. And I hope it stays with me. I, I hope it reminds me in 2021 and, and in all of the Christmases to come how important it is that we offer community to people who have been robbed of theirs and how important it is that we invite them into our families. So anyway, on that like weird, twisted attempt at getting a Christmas message out of this shit, merry goddamn fucking bullshit-ass pandemic Christmas and happy good riddance to this shithole year day. They're talking about your Jesus. interrupt this broadcast bring you a special news bulletin. Joining me for headlines tonight are the Balthazar and Melchior to my Gaspar, Heath Enright, and Eli Bosnick. Fellas, are you ready to come on to a baby? <laughs> Guided by the star known as Michael Jackson, no illusion. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I don't want to be the fucking mer guy. You may be the mer guy. <laughs> this sucks. All right, well, I'll tell you what, if all this talk about babies has your tummy rumbling, I guess we're already most of the way segued into a word from our first sponsor this week, Hello Fresh. No, you got to cut it sideways. What does that mean? You, you don't know what sideways means? Turn it. Turn hey it guys, sideways. Hey, guys, what you doing? Oh, hey, Noah. Well, Heath and I were just trying to cook fresh homemade meals to save some time and money. Yeah, but his knife skills are terrible. Well, why don't you try? Did somebody say skills? Um, I'm sorry, who are you? What? LOL. I'm the Manscaped Man, of course. But, but this is a HelloFresh ad. 
Not anymore, it isn't. Thanks to the contractually obligated sponsorship your partner signed on for your Christmas spectacular, this is a Manscaped ad now. Now shave your balls. Dude, no, get away from me. Come and get Manscaped. No, dude, get away. Eli, get him off of me. Manscaped. Okay, so uh you want to just order Thai food? Yeah, let's just order Thai food. Thai food, great. You think we'll get paid for that ad? No, I do not. Yeah, probably not. And now, back to the headlines. In our lead story tonight, atheists who were feeling a bit iffy about supporting a pastor in the upcoming Georgia Senate runoff had their fears assuaged this week when incoming GOP congressman and platonic form of white privilege Madison Cawthorn took <laughs> to Fox News to explain that Pastor Gross. Raphael Warnock, who preaches at Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s former fucking church, isn't a real Christian TM. Interesting. Yeah. See, because when your entire party's platform is bigotry, attacking the opponent's otherness and attacking their policies are one and the same. <laughs> yeah. And when the color of your skin is privileged white and the content of your character is accused of sexual assault, a bunch. Yeah, a bunch. <laughs> and Dr. King can't really help you with getting judged. Right. Yeah, so Cawthorn took time off of collecting sexual misconduct accusations like they were Pokemon and headed down to Georgia to campaign on behalf of the cartoonishly evil Republican candidate. Sorry, just King. I shouldn't have said he's not a medical doctor. Oh, no, you're right. You're right. Exactly. <laughs> we'll upset Martin, a lot of Mr. People. Martin. Yeah, Mr. King. So, yeah. So during this interview, Fox News' Brian Kilmeade asks about Warnock, and here's the fucking quote. You see this Warnock fella who's coming down here. He was born in Savannah, fucking Georgia. Who's coming down here really? and disguising himself as some moderate pastor from the South who doesn't believe in these radical ideas. But if you look at him, really, what he actually believes, he's a radical's radical. He wants to defund what? our police. He says he's a pastor, yet he's all about abortion. This is somebody who does not represent what real Americans believe. End quote. TM again. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, Crawthorn Hafen. Uh, that was a little long. <laughs> Do you have a quote that we could just use as a bumper? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Black. Black. <laughs> yeah, oh, wait. Just you wait, sir. <laughs> it's going to come close. It's not going to be clear which side of that it lands on. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. So before it was all over, he feared perhaps some of the racist viewers might not be getting the message and added that Warnock wanted to, quote, make our families in Georgia and all across the country in more danger, sick, <laughs> and protect a society that benefits gangsters and thugs, end quote. Okay, you know what? Black does feel less bigoted. I retract right? my joke. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I guess it is clear which side. <laughs> All right, so quick reminder, we did a second fundraiser this past weekend to help raise money for the Democratic candidates in this race, and unlike the last one, which was run by an objective third party where we more than doubled the money raised by Thomas and Andrew. In this one, which Thomas and Andrew were entirely in control of, they outraised us by claiming one of the half hours as their own and laying claim to all the matching funds, which was weird. Right. Stop the count. Start Thomas the count. Cecil didn't do that in their fundraiser. Because, what, like, are they, they organizing the fundraiser like fucking Enron over there? Yeah, Get out of yeah, here. Exactly. I guess Thomas Cecil didn't Arthur want to Arthur Anderson the, doing your, your numbers for your fundraiser? Fundraiser all about themselves but but had they done that i guess thomas and andrew really would have come in a distant third in that i do mean a distant third anyway the, the, the point is that you can still donate to act blue and possibly help nudge a couple more voters to the polls in georgia in january and also uh thomas and andrew's win was kind of sad and desperate 
<laughs> on the Christmas episode, Noah. The on Christmas the, on episode. On the Manscaped Christmas Spectacular, <laughs> no less. <laughs> Not in front of Manscaped. <laughs> they know what they did. <laughs> and in the never-ending Tory news. Oh, well done. Boris Johnson is the Prime Minister of 2020 the year in every way. <laughs> and it's not going great for the UK. In case anyone missed it, there's um, a global pandemic. There's that. And while that's all happening, the UK is a week away from transitioning from a 21st century economy within a cooperative trade community into a protectionist island that doesn't produce things. Yep. Guided by 17th century mercantilism. Yeah. <laughs> Just like when England was great again. But despite all that, Boris Johnson wasn't going to let Christmas get canceled. His government decided to call a timeout on COVID for five days and lift all the safety orders. But then we heard about mutant COVID spreading around and they're locked right the fuck back down even harder than before. Okay, okay. COVID has legs and can stab you. I'm afraid to say, Boxing Day is cancelled. <laughs> yeah. Now, if only they could treat the mutant strain of Brexit with the same expedience. <laughs> so, yeah, the timeline of Boris Johnson's policy adjustments makes it even worse than it sounds. According to our official UK correspondent, Michael Marshall, Johnson knew days ahead of time that that five-day virus timeout was going to get reversed. And during that time, during that time that he knew it was going to change anyway, Johnson spoke with opposition leaders and mocked them for trying to cancel Christmas. He called it inhumane to make people skip one holiday one time. Apparently, all my bartending jobs ever were inhumane, <laughs> too. Yep. But Christian right here in America never said a word. Either way, Johnson created a five-day plague holiday then realized that a giant death toll might, you know, also be considered inhumane if you think about it. And then he lied about realizing that for several days. No, as weird as it sounds, given Johnson's rampant stupidity, it almost certainly saved a lot. The, the, the emerging, more dangerous strain of the virus almost certainly saved British lives. It did. And crazy. So, yeah, moral of the story, congratulations all around to atheism we canceled christmas <laughs> in the uk but it almost didn't work boris johnson was on to us he discovered that five-day timeout loophole during which the original virus had to observe a holiday on request That's but true. then our super covid strain kicked in and he had to rethink the plan so no more british christmas and now we wait that's right <laughs> coincidence that the new strain came out in the same country where the guy who did covid resides Oh, I think not. What is coincidence? com Sponsored by Manscaped. <laughs> and in putting the repent back in the way, Dave Dobbenmeyer spells serpent news tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I guess some about relentlessly spreading disease to a vulnerable population of innocent people just got Dave Dobbenmeyer pining for the good old days of manifest destiny. And he decided to scratch that itch by giving some Indians a magical what for with a generous helping of Jesus. So Dave and a bunch of his acolytes headed over to Serpent Mound, a prehistoric burial site in southern Ohio, to pray against the dark energy that Dave says is released there. Needless to say, the Native Americans that were already there were less than welcoming. 
Okay, Coach Dave, just a quick thing. I heard the really bad dark energy. It's happening on North Sentinel Island. It's lovely. They've, they've never even heard of Jesus there. They've never even heard of him. All right. All I'm going to say is you might be racist, but are you field trip to call a graveyard the devil racist? <laughs> get on Coach Dave's yeah. level. Now, the ensuing confrontation was caught on video by both sides and made its way online. But for those of you who don't want to watch screamy racism for 13 minutes, I'll, I'll sum up the action for you. Dave and his coven of xenophobes show up, and they're met in the parking lot by the executive director for the American Indian Movement of Ohio, Philip Yenyo. Hailing from Cleveland, a city long known for its respect for Native Americans, Yenyo learned about <laughs> Coach Dave's plan in advance and drove the four hours or so to stand between the bigot brigade and the sacred ground on which his literal goddamn ancestors are literally goddamn buried. Ground. It's ground. Yeah, well, well, but I yeah. get what you're saying. But so, so Dave and his bevy of idiots responded to those concerns, as I'm sure you already guessed, by screaming at Yenyo masklessly about how they were going to reclaim that sacred ground in the name of Jesus. Fucking <sighs> assholes. But my favorite part in this video, it's when Coach Dave's crew starts reciting a prayer and the Native American group starts singing kind of loud to block it. And mm -hmm. <laughs> the lady who's leading the Christian prayer panics because she realizes this is actually a problem. She's like, fuck, the magic block, it's working. May the angels of the Lord, guys, we need to be louder. May the angels of the Lord. <laughs> See, now if I'm Philip Yenyo and the Native Americans, I'm going to dive in, right? Start air fucking some angels. Just be like, I'm not doing it. The devil's making me. <laughs> and okay, so look, as he's already alluded to, you would be hard-pressed to find a person with less innate respect for somebody else's sacred space. But <laughs> even I have the decency not to record this show in the middle of a goddamn church, right? <laughs> and that's because even when I'm trying to be an asshole, I cannot rise to the level of Dave fucking Dobenmeyer. You find a church to do Despite it. the confrontation and the clear discomfort of the people who maintain the area, they did hold their goddamn fucking stupid prayer event, though I will say to their credit, they begrudgingly agreed to step off the actual mound where the remains are buried when they were asked nicely to do so. Oh, okay. woke. Great. Yep. Counterpoint, <laughs> when Coach Dave dies of COVID next week, the ceremony I have planned on his grave Far less tasteful, <laughs> and I, I will not be stepping off the area where the remains are buried. So no. It involves the manscaped guy. <laughs> <laughs> and in Blast FIFA news, soccer, like eating a whole block of cheese for breakfast and universal health care, is one of the many European mysteries Americans can't get our heads around. I get that. But we were reminded once again this week that religion can ruin literally anything. When Brian Cristante, a member of the Italian team AS Roma, received a one-game suspension for the crime of blasphemy. <laughs> so ridiculous. Yeah, well, Eli, you're just lucky we don't do that here, or you'd be out next week for profaning the good name of breakfast cheese. But okay. <laughs> yeah, well, is that a European thing? They eat, like, an entire block of cheese? I, mean, I would As far that. as I know, I like yeah. breakfast cheese. I'm yeah. very urbane and European. That's right. So, according to the statement by the Disciplinary Commission released on FootballItalia.net... Only the best sources for our listeners. <laughs> yeah, quote, <laughs> Cristante pronounced a blasphemous expression at the 23rd minute of the first half. 
<laughs> the relative TV images acquired and examined what? with full technical and documentary guarantee. Oh, for fucking Considering sake. that the player in question was clearly framed by the TV footage <laughs> while uttering a blasphemous expression, identifiable and audible without margins of reasonable doubt, end quote. Wow. To be clear, Cristante said the Italian version of goddamn. Jesus there's so much insanity in that statement. A dedicated commission studied this thing like the fucking Zapruder film. <laughs> and they ran it in slow-mo. And they argued about whether, okay, was that goddamn or gosh darn. Check it again. Check it again. Frame it. That's what they did. That literally had to happen. Yep. What I'm saying is instant replay is ruining the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... It's not like he read a chapter out loud from the God delusion, but this does raise the question of what counts as blasphemy on the soccer field, right? Like, okay, what if I read the Bible on the field, but not in the original Latin? <laughs> what if I buy an indulgence during a time Yeah, out? right, right. What if I call for the death of all Amalekites? <laughs> these are the questions. That'd be like an eight-game suspension, right? I'm pretty yeah, sure. These... Based on Luis Suarez using slurs, it's like an eight-gamer. Yeah. <laughs> Well, these are the questions that the people demand answers to. And as soon as the Italian soccer disciplinary authority at FIFA.Italy.net backslash forward slash gets back to me, <laughs> we will let you know. All right. Good. And in dreaming of an A.R. White Christmas news tonight. <laughs> Fantastic. So as superstitious as our audience isn't. They still get nervous when I say shit like, well, at least 2021 can't be worse than 2020, which is why I say stuff like that. Because <laughs> for fuck's sake, people, we're atheists here. Okay, but I also say that because I know that it is true. We have bottomed out and we're headed back up, or at least we're a month from bottoming out uh, at most. <laughs> it's like catching a falling knife, man. It's hard to say. I know what you're saying, but like... <laughs> yeah. But, okay, but see, the, here's the thing, though. The upward trajectory in the future is not just political, because just when you thought David A.R. White wasn't getting us anything for Christmas, we learned this week that he'll begin filming God's Not Dead 4 in yeah. January. <laughs> oh, God's so Not happy. Dead, but my marriage is. <laughs> God's Not Dead 4, the quest for alimony. Yeah, <laughs> So, yeah, so this news comes to us via Instagram. Co-founder of Pure Flix Entertainment and former happily married person David A.R. White announced that the fourth film in his trilogy will begin filming in Oklahoma next month. Now, obviously, this is good news for a lot of reasons, most notably that David A.R. White almost certainly won't be vaccinated by then, nor will his crew be. But for those unaware, God's Not Dead served as the impetus for us starting the reviewing Christian movie shtick. It inaugurated Eli's regular participation in the show, and ultimately it led to an entire podcast. So needless to say, we are already drawing up our plans to watch this one together in theaters. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, by which, Noah means we're arriving at that premiere in fucking hang gliders. It's going to be a huge deal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, by the way, if just knowing that the GND universe is expanding isn't enough to get you excited, Dave's video offer up some tantalizing details. This movie's title will be God's Not Dead, We the People. Yeah, you. Yep. Absolutely not. Yep. God <laughs> yeah, damn it. Apparently, God's not dead. I thought this was America was taken. But yeah, but according to Dave, it's loosely inspired by Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. 
Or at least, I'm sorry, Amazing. he always loved that movie, and then he loses his train of thought, but it's kind of implied <laughs> that there's some connection between his love for that Jimmy Stewart flick and, and this movie. There's so many ums in this goddamn video. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who agrees that it is about goddamn time that David A.R. White's work got political. <laughs> no, you just yeah. got suspended in Italy for your soccer team, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Now, that said, I can't help but wonder if there's a way to reach David before filming begins. Especially since it's Christmas. Christmas. Kirk? Kirk Cameron? What up, buddy? It's Dave. It's the... What do you mean, Dave who? <laughs> Classic joker. David A.R. White, man. Yeah. So, look, uh, I'm in the area. thinking of going out for some brewskis. Maybe meet some babes. You in? Are you... Oh, you do? No, no, okay. I mean, I know it's Christmas. I just, yeah, no, no oh, that's okay. No problem, man. Uh, I honestly, I fly better solo. Anyway, Kirk? Kirk? Did you? That's weird. <laughs> you must have got disconnected. What was that? Mike Huckabee? Are you and your daughter eating my garbage again? Ooh. Who are you, Spirit? Don't you recognize your old business partners, the Kendrick brothers? Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, Alex and uh, whatever the other one's name is. Um, so what what happened to you? Are you you guys dead? Are you, are no, you ghosts or something? No, but the, the Kendrick brothers really worked best for the bit. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. In life, we were movie makers, David R. White, and good Christians, but in death... We wear these chains, chains of a mid-spring release schedule. Oh, like early May? No, David. April. Mid-April. Ooh, mid-April. Tonight, you will be visited by three spirits, and each... Wait, didn't we do this last year? Yeah, I, I, I could have sworn we did this bit last year. No, we did Trump Christmas Carol on Skeptocrat last year. Totally different thing. Is it? Yes. Anyway, you're going to be visited by three spirits. Uh, okay, got it. Who? Who is that? Who's here? It's me, the ghost of Christmas past. Look, David, look who you could have been. That, uh, that's just like me doing my one line from second glance. That's right, David, a movie extra. You could have been an extra in the movies. Okay. Shh, look, here comes someone you'll remember. Hi there. Hey, Andrea. Gee, you're swell. I think you're swell. So, uh, what do you think? You want to get married? I sure do. We're going to be married forever. <laughs> you guys are dicks. Ho, 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 ho. Uh, hello? It's me, the ghost of Christmas present. Come, I have something to show you, David A.R. White. Oh, yeah, that's right, boys. Fill those holes. Who's next? Who's next? Oh, wow. Uh, my wife is... Fucking a bunch of dudes, David A.R. White. Fucking a bunch of dudes. Fucking a bunch of dudes. All right. Oh, yeah, I can take a third one in there. You just got to mean it is all. Sorry. Okay. Uh, how is this supposed to teach me a lesson about Christmas? I don't get it. Oh, um, it's not. I'm just, I'm just showing everybody this today. I mean, I thought you'd want to see this, right? Do you not want to see this? 
Well, no, okay, don't don't stop it. I mean, it is impressive, just right? like laterally like, wow. what she's doing. I mean, wow. For the last time, I told you guys no kissing. But but tell me, spirit, what's to come of this? I mean, most of them came already. One guy went out for Gatorade, so they'll no, no, probably no, no, no. Of me, spirit is 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 Tiny Tinder dead? Well, that's not my domain, David. But I see an empty bottle of hair dye against the fireplace, cloaked in shadow, and a bunch of text messages that have been left unread. Hey, so you must be the third spirit, I guess. You're here to show me the future. I, okay, great. So, uh, yeah, lead on. Let's let's see the future. Hey, did you guys hear that David A. R. White died? Who? Uh, the Christian movie guy. Never heard of him. Yeah, most nobody did. He'd made Christian movies. Okay. Oh, Spirit, so tell me, are these things that are going to come to pass, or things that, like, might come to pass? Are they... Answer me, Spirit. Tell me what... Why won't you answer me? I'm... I'm alive. Uh, you... You there, boy, you. Yes, sir. What, uh, what day is it? Boy, it's Christmas, sir. Okay, well, then it's not too late. It's not too late. Everyone, everyone, listen to me. Yes, sir. What is it, sir? I've learned something, something very important. Do not believe women on the Internet who say they'll fuck you. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. What? Oh, uh, what? Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. So, uh, at first, it seems like you're just going to have a, a little side piece going, you know, but then you catch feelings and start thinking about what it would be like to be with her instead of with your wife, who, honestly, you never really connected with in a meaningful way. Uh, and, so uh, and, and then those thing? thoughts turn into conversations, and before you know it, bam, you're announcing your divorce on Instagram. But then, just as it looks like it's all going to work out, things with her boyfriend at Liberty University get serious, and now where are you? Nowhere. Fucking, you're, you're calling Kirk Cameron on Christmas to see if he can have gay sex like you did last time you saw him. Uh, there's so much to unpack there, sir. Sorry, no, I scratched a bunch of that. I just meant, God bless us, everyone. Okay. Did that stuff with David A.R. White's marriage really happen? I mean, probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah. And finally tonight, in the art of war on Christmas news, <laughs> we canceled Christmas in the UK, but it looks like it's not going to happen here in the US. They know that we've been running the long con since 2019 when we started COVID, and they are not happy. Well, since, since March started at Heath, credit where credit is due. <laughs> right, well. So, well, actually, for, for most of this year, they thought we did it to ruin the economy and then profit from that. <laughs> but they finally realized the master plan, and they've shifted their rhetoric. Of course, we atheists are terrified that Christmas is more powerful than our Satan magic. So we've been using the threat of mass death from this pandemic as an excuse to eradicate the holiday. And the Christian right, they're calling our bluff now and causing mass death. That's um, that's not how bluffing works or how calling bluffs work, mm. but that's what they're doing. So for the first time ever, the war on Christmas actually has a death toll. And it's going to be really big. Yeah. It's terrifying. Wow. Yeah. That's right, everybody. Welcome to the year where a literal war on Christmas might kill less people. Almost certainly, yeah. Yep. So the best example of the shift in rhetoric comes from an article in the New Republic. They mention a columnist from the Federalist <laughs> named David Marcus, who looks like a 
He looks like a columnist from the Federalist, honestly. Yep. <laughs> and uh, also a hair gel vampire. I don't, I don't even know what that means, but that's what he looks like. Well, during the spring, he wrote about how we can't afford to damage the economy just to stop a global pandemic. The title was, We Can't Destroy the Country for the Sake of New York City. Oh, wow. He lives in New York City, by the way. Mm. Well, now the virus is killing people all over the country. So he kind of had to take a new angle. His latest article is titled, is Fortnite Live the Future of Television? <laughs> it's so weird how he had no trouble devoting two and a half trillion dollars to cleaning up after a New York problem when that problem involved killing Muslims, right? So right. Weird. Hmm. So, yeah, people like David Marcus had to shut the fuck up and stop talking about the virus because of how horribly wrong they were. But that requires awareness of being wrong and giving a fuck about being wrong. And those are un-American qualities. So we got plenty of Christian right news people digging their heels in and just pivoting to the war on Christmas as the new angle. For example, according to Jack Posobiec of One American News, quote, Jake Tapper and Anthony Fauci don't get to tell me whether or not my family celebrates the birth of Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus Christ. Hey, bro, it's more effective if you tell them that they don't get to decide whether or not your puppy's allowed to breathe, and it's equally hyperbolic. Just, you know, go for the fucking jugular. <laughs> right. Also, Jack, Anthony Fauci also doesn't want you to play Russian roulette with all the chambers full. Mm. He doesn't. He said it would be terrible if you did that. It's coming for your guns. <laughs> So, just for the record, Jack Posobiec is a neo-Nazi collaborator. Yep. Also known as a neo-Nazi. Yeah, really. And speaking of which, speaking of neo-Nazis, Breitbart ran a column telling its readers that fascist governors are trying to cancel your Christmas. We also heard from GOP Congressman Jim Jordan, who tweeted, They tried to cancel Thanksgiving. Didn't work. They're coming for Christmas next. And in response to my very obvious joke about our Satan magic, we heard the following from Tucker Carlson. Oh, yeah. Quote, they figured out that Christmas is bigger than they are, and therefore, it's a threat to them. Better cancel it. He also added, what? Death is inevitable. Maybe we should pause before we destroy the living in the name of trying to eliminate it. Death, I guess, De is what he meant by what? it. At the Attack end. ships off the fire on the shoulder of Orion. Watch sea beams glitter in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> Tears and rain. I'm Tucker Carlson. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know, this shit is always frustratingly stupid. But when their party is literally trying to overturn the clear will of the voters, the whole happy holidays is fascist line is that much harder to take. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. If there's one thing that defines us here at The Scathing Atheist, it's that we're here to solve problems for conservative Christians. <laughs> and that's why we sent Santa Claus a check for $600 straight from us. <laughs> He'll be fine for another year without the job. Problem solved. There you go. You are welcome, everybody. <laughs> and now that everybody's filled with a bit of Christmas bitterness, we're going to close the headlines for the night. Heath, Eli, thanks as always. Jumanji. And when we come back, 600 bucks will still be a pittance. Mumble, mumble, rumble, mumble. Hey, rumble. Noah, what, what's the matter? Oh, hey, Heath, it's, 
It's all these Christmas presents I'm trying to send. The lines at the post office are crazy. Plus, earlier in the show, the Manscaped man tried to hold me down and shave my nuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was pretty rough. Why don't you just try Stamps.com? Wait, what's Stamps.com? Great question. Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right. Oh, yeah. God damn it, Manscaped man. That's right. Fuck the post office right in the ear hole. You don't need to send shit when the only gift in your sack is Manscaped's ProPilot Ball Shaver Deluxe. We are losing so much money now. You're going to want to jingle your balls when you carve any sight of secondary sexual characteristics off your body like a Roman emperor trying to destroy the memory of a war rival. That can't possibly be the copy. And now you can buy Dude Wipes Ball Dude Wipe Your Balls. The wipe that lets you wipe your balls of the disgusting sloth that accumulates there by the second. I don't have that. Nobody has that. That's not a thing. Manscaped. Flip your dad's dune buggy and get paralyzed. We're going to get in so much trouble. Yeah, we sure are. Every month since December of last year, we've spent a few minutes highlighting alternative holidays that atheists can consider for their annual celebrations. And ultimately, it can't stay a monthly bit long term because there are only so many holidays, but we're not ready to give it up just yet. So we've each decided to choose one more holiday from any time in the year that you might want to consider for next year in 2020's final holiday buffet. All right. So the holiday I chose is called Kanamara Matsuri. (laughs) I almost chose this one. (laughs) Excellent. What we're commemorating. Dicks. Where it's celebrated. Kawasaki, Japan. When it's celebrated. The first Sunday in April. Best aspect. Uh, dicks. Worst aspect. I guess that, like sometimes there'll be like a hair that gets wrapped around the head of it when you're asleep, and if you don't remove it in the right direction, it becomes a temporary dick garrote. It's not a problem, Heath, and I can relate to. But, uh. Okay, speak for yourself. I have very long, perfectly straight pubic hair. There you go. Also, happens when you sleep with other people. <laughs> How it's celebrated. All right, so in the interest of full disclosure, I should point out that we did talk about Kanemaru Matsuri way, way long ago on this show at length. It was back on episode 160. There was an atheist activist that... Tried to use this celebration as an occasion to put a giant penis statue with Donald Trump's face on it in the Florida Capitol building. <laughs> There's a 30 seconds on the clock about it and everything. But since that was all the hell way back in February of 2016 and the intervening five years have been 36 years long. And since this was before Eli was on the show, I feel like we can go back to this well again. Yeah. And to be fair, before I was on the show, you could talk about a penis holiday without asking yourself in the back of your mind if legally that was a wise choice. So, well, yeah, I, yeah I, you I, didn't have to ask it as loud anyway. OK, so, yeah. <laughs> so Kanemaru Matsuri is a Shinto holiday and the term literally translates to Festival of the Steel Phallus, which should be enough to earn a spot on your 2021 calendar right there. Basically, it's a giant citywide bachelorette party, just like dick shaped Everything. Dick candy, dick costumes, dick flags, dick statues, vegetables carved into dicks. And there's also a Mikoshi parade in which a giant metal penis is carried through the main thoroughfare in an ornate sacred palanquin. Okay. I mean, it sounds pretty cool, but honestly, the penis is disappointing to me. You know, like artistically. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, it's just, hmm, it's meh. Yeah. I was going to ask if they have a festival of the penis that's still down to clown, but 
just ate Thai food, so maybe we just do mutual mouth stuff. I'm asking for a friend. How is mutual mouth stuff better than a Thai? You know what? Never mind. <laughs> Never. Please don't tell me. So this holiday has a great story behind it. Granted, it's a thing from a religion, so there's a healthy dollop of misogyny undergirding it. Misogyny at the penis festival? <laughs> yeah, at the, no. the literal sausage fest. Yeah, <laughs> but it's worth recounting nonetheless. It all starts on a dark and stormy night when an evil demon who is described as both jealous and sharp-toothed took up residence inside the vagina of a woman he fell in love with. You know this isn't going to go well. All right, so that works fine for a while, I guess, but then she gets married, and on her wedding night, the demon gets nudged awake by a fucking penis suddenly taking up his whole apartment, so he bites it off. Ah, she could have gotten 3500 a month for that vagina in Manhattan. <laughs> I know that's a rent joke, but she could have got a lot more than that yeah. for a vagina in Manhattan. <laughs> Maybe not anymore. Um, so, <laughs> right. All right. So he dies from the wound. She spends some appropriate amount of time in mourning and then winds up getting married a second time because 14th century sexual mores made stories way longer than they have to be. So when this wedding night ends with another bitten off penis, she starts to grow concerned, which <laughs> seems at least one penis too late, you know? Just 20 marriages later. Okay, all the pushpins and yarn are in my vagina. I don't know. I feel like, is there a pattern? The Eli Bosnick story? Yeah, yeah, but for you, it's a magic trick. Like, where do all these pushpins keep coming from? All right, so anyway, she realizes she's got a vaginal tooth demon problem, but who do you see about something like that in feudal Japan? Well, her answer which inexplicably turned out to be correct, was blacksmith. Well, you know what they say, once you go blacksmith. <laughs> well done. All right, so she goes to the blacksmith. She says, hey, this demon keeps biting off my husband's sticks. Do you have something for that? And without missing a beat, he says, giant metal dildo. Don't ask me why I keep it right here under the counter. She takes the metal dildo home, drives it home, or, you know, maybe, I don't know, I does some mood stuff first. I don't know. But eventually she drives it home. <laughs> demon bites down. He breaks off all his teeth on the metal dildo and runs away in embarrassment. <laughs> it's got to be an awkward moment while he's struggling out. Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> push, Just, um, don't push. look at my face. I'm mad about this. <laughs> Stop. Give me a second. Do you go to the emergency room for dental stuff, or is there like a dental emergency? I don't know. I'll ask someone. <laughs> All right. So now the the legend, by the way, acts like her problems are now over because whoever wrote it really didn't think over the prospect of having a. Vagina full of sharp, loose demon teeth, apparently. Yeah, just use one of those heavy-duty pads that week, right? What? Soak them right up. That's going to do it, huh? So the original metallic penis has been lost to history, obviously, but if there's one thing that Japan has in abundance, it's artists willing to craft a penis at a moment's notice. So even now, there are multiple penis shrines in Kawasaki that prostitutes pray to for protection against STDs. So these three shrines go on a parade during Kanemaru Matsuri where they're joined by all the, like, decorations that we talked about earlier. Fantastic. And though I'm sure that prudery of American sensibilities would show up and be resistance to transplanting some parade like that to our shores, the good news is that it's Shinto and that's a religion. And according to the Supreme Court, if it's a religion, there is no law. Your hometown is required to let you have a giant Shinto dick parade. Absolutely, yes, they are. Well, as long as you sincerely hold the dick, yeah, right? Exactly. you got to sincerely hold the dick. And and who looks like a toothless demon that lived in a vagina for too long? Mitch McConnell. That's okay. right. He can end the parade at his house, keep it topical. <laughs> Hell, yeah. Got you some taffy, buddy. Check it out. <laughs> and, and speaking of which, by the way, if you need any more reason to celebrate this holiday next year, I should emphasize that it's celebrated on the first Sunday in April, and that means that in 2021, at least... 
it'll coincide with Easter fucking Sunday. Nice. Which is a perfect day for a dick parade. And you know what? Let's be honest. Finding eggs makes way more sense for a penis-based holiday than for a bunny-themed one anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Better yet, what makes an egg hunt more exciting for the kids than a dick javelin hunt for Christians going on perch style at the same time? All right, Run, well, little Timmy. Well, Eli closed another one of my bits on dick javelins, so I guess that's over now, Heath. <laughs> uh, what holiday did you choose? Classic comedy clothes right there. I chose Takanakui. What we're commemorating. The ancient Quechua tradition of punching people in the face on Christmas Day. Nice. Where it's celebrated. The mountains of Peru and anywhere with a PS5. <laughs> uh, so the mountains of Peru. <laughs> That's correct. When it's celebrated. December 25th and also the next day for the elite competitors, which works out well because that's Boxing Day. Nice. Punching. Boxing is fun. Best aspect. It acknowledges that most human beings deserve to get punched in the face way more often than they actually do. That's just a fact. So they made a dedicated holiday to make sure you get a chance to fix that at least once a year. Okay. Now, Noah, as the person on this podcast, who I'm pretty sure has deservedly been punched in the face the most times, I feel appropriated by Heath's holiday. <laughs> <laughs> I've deserved a lot of punches in the face, I'll be honest. Did you get them all? Yeah, that's the I, thing. No, I didn't get all of them, but I got some. <laughs> I, yeah. got, I feel like I got more. We'll do a score thing later. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Worst aspect. Ted Cruz does not live in the mountains of Peru. <laughs> How it's celebrated. Punching people in the face and other hitting. It's really easy to celebrate. The word takanakui is literally quechua for to hit each other. Nice. Hey. <laughs> the tradition started in Santo Tomas, the capital of the Chumbivilcas province in the Andes Mountains. Everyone in the town would get together on December 25th and have a series of drunken fights where you get to settle all the grudges you have from that past year. And it's such a great idea that it's now spread to other parts of the country, too. Okay, but what if you suck at punching, right? I'm just supposed to limply bang my wrists against Heath's ankles once a year while tearfully <laughs> sobbing that he's still 11 points ahead of me in the elbow-touching game we invented in Australia? You are supposed to do that. You should be able to hire a punch surrogate. Okay, all right, yeah, so I guess the best thing about fist fights is the way they, checks notes, alleviate grudges <laughs> yep, in Peru. It fixes everything. Awesome. It worked on my hockey team, but yeah, it doesn't really work in most of the real world. So the main theme that goes along with the village kumite is the costume element. Everyone dresses up as one of the five traditional characters based on Andean cultural symbols. The first character is called the Mahenyo. And they wear horse riding gear. That means wool pants, a leather hat, a Harrington jacket, and a hollowed out bull's horn to hold a whole bunch of alcohol. None of the other costumes have alcohol built into them. So that one's by far the most popular. Mm -hmm. yeah. Sure. Yeah. And also everyone wears a ski mask as part of the deal. That's, that's actually part of all the costumes. And the idea is to conceal everyone's identity so you don't start new grudges for the coming year. Wait, so you you just fight people randomly then? 
Yeah. Not entirely. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure I kicked Steve's ass for fucking my goat this summer, but, you know, that could have been Walter. Yeah, or... right. No, unless you have a grudge against random strangers or one of the five traditional Andean cultural symbols, I'm not sure what problem we're solving here. <laughs> All right, well, I'll get to it. The next character is called the Karawatana, and they wear a leather biker jacket, leather cowboy chaps, which are all assless, By all chaps are assless, yeah. mm-hmm. and they put a dead bird or a deer skull on their head. Mm. This is the most popular character for kids. Obviously. Uh, apparently the kids fight sometimes, too. Oh, oh, no, ooh. no, the adults are not allowed to fight the kids. Damn it, I'm back in last place. Well, yep, that was definitely his question. Good work. <laughs> so there's also a character called the Negro. That's just the word for black, so it's yeah. not problematic. Except it definitely is problematic because the Negro costume is a colonial slave master outfit. <laughs> yeah. According to Wikipedia, they wear high knee leather boots, fancy pants, a dress shirt and a waistcoat, a silk embroidered cape in pink or baby blue, and a cardboard crown with shiny wrapping paper and a star on top. All right, but to be fair, if you're dressing up to get punched in the face, you fucking nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Slave master. That's good. Yeah. So the slave master costume was traditionally worn by the rich people in town, but now it's become the standard for the top ranked fighters to wear it. And apparently this character has to dance around in circles like a rooster as part of the deal. Yeah. It's not clear if you just have to do that before the fight or if you have to incorporate circular rooster dancing into your (laughs) fighting style. But it's one of those things, I think. I mean, if you're going to dress up as a slave owner, you better be a good fighter. I can see how that transition happened. (laughs) I want that guy in Bloodsport now. The rooster Yes. All right. Well, one other important detail is the alcohol situation. You say that a lot. You do say that a lot. It's it's important. So as a pregame, they have several entire days of drinking that lead up to the holiday. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And then on the 25th, before the parade... Everyone has breakfast together at the local church, and they all get violently drunk. Mm, breakfast drunk is the best kind of drunk to fist fight. That's, That's true. You know. <laughs> Absolutely correct. Scientifically proven. <laughs> so once they finally get to the battleground, everyone starts just listing the people who wronged them because this holiday is fucking amazing. They all start calling out the people they want to beat up for, like, you know, ordering coffee too slow or putting up a spite fence or whatever they did. Cheating at the elbow game, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I Gee, I'm winning 45 to 12. That's the, the current score. So I'm assuming they have some kind of scheduling system to figure out who fights whom when, and they go through each of the one-on-one battles like that. The only rules are no biting, no hitting people once they're down, and no pulling hair. And you win by knockout or referee stoppage. And apparently the refs carry whips to hit people in the crowd if they try to interfere. And at the end of every bout, the fighters have to shake hands or hug. Hmm. Sorry, taking notes for our next live show at the pit. Whips if the crowd tries <laughs> to interfere. Also, there is an appeal system. Okay. If you don't agree with the outcome of the fight, you can demand a rematch. It's only a flesh wound. <laughs> right. And once all the fights and all the, you know, theoretically infinite string of appeals fights are finished, everyone gets drunk together to numb the pain. And the big winners... They move on to the Tournament of Champions the next day in the village of Yike 
including fighters of all genders and ages. So I can fight a little girl. Noah lied to me. That's not, Noah okay. lied. Definitely not what I just said. And then on the 27th, everyone nurses their giant hangover and starts making a new log of all the people they want to beat up next year. There you go. All right. Definitely a contender for the best punching-based holiday. Eli, what do you have for us? Right? St. Lucy's Day. What we're commemorating. According to Wikipedia, we're celebrating, quote, Lucia of Syracuse, an early 4th century virgin martyr. No, she wasn't. Under the Diocletianic persecution. Oh, also no. Who, according to legend, there, there it is, yep, <laughs> brought food and aid to Christians hiding in the Roman catacombs, wearing a candlelit wreath on her head to light her way and leave her hands free to carry as much food as possible. Where it's celebrated. Mostly Scandinavia and Italy, with the Scandinavian celebrations being as pagan as possible and the Italian celebrations aiming to be as creepy as possible. Wow, as creepy as Italians can manage. That's pretty fucking creepy. Woof. When it's celebrated. December 13th. And after a year of doing this segment, it's damn nice not to have to mention a moon cycle. Can I just say that? It's nice to have a day. Best aspect. Pre-Christmas Christmas presents. That's pretty sweet. Worst aspect. Accidentally setting your youngest daughter on fire. This better not be another John Bonet Ramsey holiday, Eli. (laughs) To be fair, it's around Christmas. (laughs) Let me tell that story. Anyways. How it's celebrated. So before we get to the delightful celebrations, it's worth going over the story of St. Lucy herself. Now, luckily for atheist comedy podcasts, Lucy comes with the period of sainthood only remembered in hagiographies, which are the biographies of saints released by the church. But the great thing about hagiographies is that they are to history what facts are to my citation needed essay. <laughs> so we get awesome stories like Lucy's. How many unique words does an organization have to have for untrue story that we keep propagating anyway before people get on? Why do we have a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> if I may quote once again from Wikipedia. A devout Christian who had taken a vow of virginity, her mother betrothed her to a pagan. She was seeking help for her mother's long-term illness at the shrine of St. Agatha when the saint appeared to her in a dream beside the shrine. St. Agatha told Lucy that illness would be cured through faith, and Lucy was able to convince her mother to cancel the wedding and donate the dowry to the poor. (laughs) St. Agatha reappears. Okay, kind of thought I was clear when I was talking to you. Uh, you donate to my shrine is what you do. You you donate to my shrine the money. You're killing your mother, Lucy. You're killing your mother. (laughs) It continues, enraged, her suitor then reported her to the governor for being a Christian. According to the legend... Glad Wikipedia clarified that again for us. (laughs) She was threatened to be taken to a brothel if she did not renounce her Christian beliefs. But they were unable to move her, even with a thousand men and fifty oxen pulling. End quote. I'm not sure if that's related to the brothel threat, but if it is, <laughs> nice. Okay, that that whole pulling situation is a logistical nightmare. Right? There's no way you're getting that to, to, to do something useful. Uh, look, a, a thousand men and 50 oxen is, first of all, a weird human-to-ox ratio, but also, how did it get that far? <laughs> right? Because on the way, at some point, you've got, like, this chick tied with a half dozen lions plus, and then there's a couple hundred people, a dozen ox or so. They're just digging dirt in the heels with their feet. They're like, you know what we need to do? Call in reinforcements. What the fuck? <laughs> More oxes, yeah. This is it's like a Ouija board. We, you guys got to line up the vectors. This is nuts. What direction are you guys pulling? So, straight? <laughs> what do you mean straight? <laughs> 
The hagiography continues, quote, Instead, they stacked materials for a fire around her and set light to it, but she would not stop speaking, insisting that her death would lessen the fear of it for other Christians and bring grief to nonbelievers. One of the soldiers stuck a spear through her throat to stop these denouncements, but to no effect. Really? Another, yeah, <laughs> another gouged out her eyes in an attempt to force her into complacency, but her eyes were miraculously restored. Okay. St. Lucy was only able to die when she was given the Christian last rites, end quote. Well, then fuck the guy who gave her last rites. <laughs> she could have been a Christian superhero. She could have been Deadpool. <laughs> she could have, yeah. <laughs> That's the story. And then the next paragraph is like, oh, yeah, something, something catacombs candles on her head. <laughs> <laughs> so with that as a backstory, you're probably thinking... Little girls girls infested infested treats, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. Well, that's the holiday. Now, I should point out that in Italy, boo, it's basically just another fucking excuse for masks. But in the Nordic countries of Norway, Sweden, and Finland, the celebration is categorized a lot more merrily. Traditionally, the youngest daughter of the families in town are made St. Lucy, and they march with cookies, saffron cakes, and a headdress made of candles through town. So after the parade, everyone eats the saffron cake I mentioned earlier, or as they call it, the lusikert, along with other Swedish delicacies like blood sausage, blood soup, and Swedish pancakes. Plus, in some places, kids get to open their presents. Damn it. Oh, my God. That's right, knucklefuckers. It's Manscaped (sighs) Man. You have to stop him. I ground up eight Tylenol PMs in his mango nectar. Penises fighting? Why not combine the two this year with the battle against your pubes holiday? Manscapedmas. Please stop. The only thing that should be under your tree this year is the Rectal Ripper 3000. This smooth functioning semi-automatic rectal razor is guaranteed to remove the first three layers of skin from your butthole, leaving you as smooth as the black ice that killed my parents. What is happening right now? And don't forget to pick up the urethral cleansing vibranium neo-degreaser. They'll leave your urethra. Warning, this podcast contains swearing and dick jokes, albeit in a charming British accent. This week's episode of The Scathing Atheist is brought to you by Allbirds, Stamps.com, and by Greg Locke's Dunkin' Donuts Order. Greg Locke's Dunkin' Donuts order. Ten creams, 22 sugars, and probably some cum he doesn't know about. <laughs> and now, the scathing atheist. Well, hello. Just me, Ang Rang. And as sure as John named my characters, Tuzard Butterford and Guel Cologne, we did, in fact, evolve from chilthy, gonky cream. It's February 17th. And did our show just become continental? Well, yeah, it did. <laughs> I'm Michael Marshall. I'm Eli Bosnick. I'm Heath Enright. And from Joe Rogan's, New Jersey. How dare you? Ann Arbor, Michigan. And that island next to the European Union. This uh. is the Skating Atheist. <laughs> On this week's episode, Marsh classes up the pod with some Anglican charm. I'll introduce you to a man who started off as an investment banker and got worse. <laughs> you will. And kids in Florida were learning too much in school, so the GOP fixed it. So that's nice. But first, 
the Elytra. The professor and sociologist Maury Schwartz used to tell a joke to begin all of his classes, and it goes like this. There's this wave bobbing along in the ocean, having a grand old time. He's enjoying the wind and the fresh air until he notices the other waves in front of him crashing against the shore. My God, this is terrible, the wave says. Look what's going to happen to me. Then along comes another wave. It sees the first wave looking grim, and it says to him, why do you look so sad? And the first wave says, you don't understand, we're all going to crash. All of us waves are going to be nothing. Isn't that terrible? And the second wave says, no, you don't understand. You're not a wave. You're part of the ocean. Now, I tell you that joke because when it comes to death, most atheists think we don't have a competitive answer to religion. But I would argue that, in fact, we do. But... Like all other answers atheism has for its religious equivalents, it requires a shift in viewpoint. Take, for example, community. I know that might seem like a strange thing to bring up in defense of religion, but in reality, it's one of its only real benefits, right? Gathering once a week or more with people to, you know, laugh and eat and sing songs and talk about big ideas has all kinds of benefits. And for years, religious apologists used that to defend the idea that, you know, even if religion isn't true, it's useful. But of course, as gathering became easier and easier to do in secular settings, we realized that you can laugh and eat and talk about big ideas and sing songs without invisible commandments from God. And in fact, it's recommendable. Me and a group of magicians, we meet up every single week at the same bar in Midtown Manhattan, and we have been for 11 years. The difference is nobody asks for 10% of our income, and nobody gets kicked out for being gay. In fact, one of our youngest members, a 17-year-old girl, came out to us as gay this year before she came out to her parents because she knew she could take to a corner booth with one of the older queer members of the group to talk about her worries and fears. She knew she could show us pictures of her new girlfriend without sideways glances. She knew she was safe and accepted there because religion doesn't own community. They just also happen to do it. And this is true of literally all the defenses of religion, right? If you look at their so-called benefits from a different angle, the secular equivalent is obviously superior, right? We've got charities that do, in fact, have to tell you what they're doing with their money and aren't allowed to hold it back from whoever the fuck their God told them they hate 2,000 years ago. If you're into hallucinations and ecstasy, can I recommend good old-fashioned drugs, which ask nothing of you but to drink enough water? Over and over again, the secular equivalent is so obviously superior to the religious version, it's laughable. Except when it comes to the afterlife, right? Because even well-meaning, well-educated atheists will admit we don't have a better version of an afterlife to offer because, after all, how can you offer a real equivalent to a lie? But, again, with a shift in perspective, I would argue that not only can we offer a better afterlife, but we must. So, first things first out of the way, they're not offering something real either, and it's easier to forget that because of how culture views promises of the afterlife, but but it does actually matter. If I promise you a hundred bucks I'm never going to give you and Steve promises you nothing, we are both still very much giving you nothing. 
the happiness and the ease and the comfort and the relief that you might feel about my promise is not a good thing, and it certainly doesn't make my lie defensible. And even if it were real, the slightest bit of thought about these so-called afterlives reveals them to be absurd at best and near instantly hellacious at worst. I mean, nobody wants to do anything forever. Oh, you like candy and orgasms? How about candy and orgasms forever, for infinity, for 10,000,000 lifetimes? Doesn't that sound fun? No, it sounds insane. It sounds like being cursed by a genie. And it certainly doesn't sound like paradise. No, what the afterlife offers people, what everyone is really on board with, from Ray Comfort to Ray Lean down at the Piggly Wiggly, is the continuation of consciousness. We end up talking to a lot of new atheists, and by that I mean new to atheism, not necessarily young. And what a lot of people can't get over is this idea that the themness of them is just going to stop. But as I point out to them, you lose consciousness every night when you go to bed, right? You don't wake up screaming, my God, my God, my consciousness, how I miss the ability to think about what I want for breakfast. No, you were asleep. We don't sit around weeping for the lost memory of what we had for lunch last Tuesday, and yet the loss of our memories at death keeps us up at night. I mean, I know it's kept me up at night. But what if, like charity, community, and bliss, a shift in perspective eases that worry? What if what matters is not our thinking being in the here and now, but the fact that we thought and were at all because small as it sounds i've got good news for you you exist no matter how good or bad a person you might imagine yourself to be no matter if you die tomorrow or in a hundred years it is undeniable that you made up a part of this world and you always will have the things you do be they small or tremendous will have been done and Nothing as inconsequential as death is ever going to change that or make it matter less. That's true of everyone who has ever lived, and it will be true of everyone who ever lives. That's the meaning of life so far as any life has ever had meaning. Religion will promise you a wave that goes on and on forever and ever. And that's a lie that... Honestly, you wouldn't want to be true, even if it could be. But I've got good news. You're part of the ocean. They're talking about your Jesus. We interrupt this broadcast and bring you a special news bulletin. Joining me for headlines tonight are the peanut butter and jelly to my milk straight from the carton, Michael Marshall and Eli Bosnick. Fellas, are you ready to satiate and slake? Am I the peanut butter there? No. Uh, inexplicably popular in America, barely tolerated in the rest of the world. I'd take it, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, and I'm pretty much only enjoyed by Heath as the milk jug. So, yeah, this track. This this track. I'm, I'm the, the milk jug. Can... I like all I'm of them. I'm the jelly. Oh, because everybody likes me. Yeah. That's, well, yeah. sure. Yep. That's what I meant. Uh-huh. Wait, people don't like peanut butter everywhere else? No. That's here only? It's not wildly popular. Peanut butter's the best. I've maybe bought two jars of it in my entire life. Are you see- I ate a jar wow. today. <laughs> That's insane. Okay. <laughs> We're going to circle back to that later. That's crazy. I mean, I'll blow your mind when you start talking about jelly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in our lead story tonight, 
Nobody likes peanut butter except the U.S. apparently. I don't know <laughs> how that happened. It's like the best food. Something about jelly too. We'll get, we'll get back to it. In our other lead story tonight, the state of Florida is the sad little penis of America in every way. Yeah. This applies in terms of geography, the way it looks on a map, in terms of politics, culture, just about everything they do. They're the dragging anchor against progress at every moment in their gross little area of swamp crotch and tactical sunglasses. Are you saying your penis is a dragging anchor against progress? And, and has tactical sunglasses. Yes, I am, Mark. <laughs> I didn't. I, yes, yes, I was. And they continued acting in that official capacity down in Florida as our sad little anchor penis with a new bigot law that recently passed in both the state house and the state senate. The Republicans behind the bill haven't mangled an acronym yet for the title, so right now it's just called HB 1557, and it would make it illegal for any public school to allow discussion of sexual orientation or gender identity. Critics are calling it the don't say gay law because that's obviously how it's going to be used by homophobic teachers and administrators in the state of Florida. No, no, this is great. So it means that the kids can get stuffed into lockers by their bullies and then back into closets by their teachers. Yep, mm -hmm. exactly. <laughs> exactly. People, it's 2022. Are they going to redact the family tree of kids with two married dads? What the <laughs> fuck are they thinking? <laughs> they are. Yes, that's what it, it's going to be like that. They're going to have books and it's like, oh, yeah, that's just a mom and a dad. Those, that's regular. But two men as two dads, that would be a problem. And they're not going to they're not going to hear the problem with that. So. Here's the exact wording of HB 1557. A school district may not encourage classroom discussion about sexual orientation or gender identity in primary grade levels. So usually that means anyone 11 years old and under. But they continued from there. They may not encourage classroom discussion about sexual orientation or gender identity in primary grade levels or in a manner that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students. That's the end of the quote. So the teachers of Florida are going to be in charge of deciding whether the human identity of a student is age appropriate for that student to be talking about. Mm -hmm. mm. And the thing is, we had exactly this in the 1990s and we called it Section 28. So does this mean Florida is just going on like a, a retro British vibe? Oh, Before you know it, there'll all be pogs and poll tax riots. And, you know, to be honest, I assume you just invite me on this show to bring some British culture deep cuts. So Marsh, pogs and poll tax riots. If there's any podcast where you can safely talk about pogs, it is this one, sir. It is this one. Are pogs originally British? Is that a British thing? Is that where it started? No, they came from here. Okay. They came from there. They came from there. But it, it was it was a very nice. It was a big thing in the. You 90s guys got into well. it in the nineties too. Cool. Yeah, yeah, big way, big way. Cool. Whatever. You all hate peanut butter. Fuck you. So, <laughs> this new bill is just the latest in a series of bigot laws out of Florida to stop kids from learning about anything other than apparently cishet white stuff. That's all they're allowed to learn. The one we talked about last time was the Stop Woke Act. That's a mangled acronym, by the way. It stands for. Stop wrongs against our kids and employees. <laughs> so stop woke mangled. And the basic idea was banning critical race theory. The bill is almost as offensive as that acronym. And to make it worse, the Stop Woke Act added a clause that gave parents a really easy way to sue their school district if a kid learned some liberal propaganda like 
to how the Civil War had a good team and a bad team, for example. Seriously, <laughs> that would be against the rules there. Because, you know, that's offensive to white people to say that. Just like, uh, you know, teaching about the Holocaust is offensive to kids of German origin. So we don't teach that. So just like that. Well, this new bill about sexual orientation and gender identity does the same thing with the lawsuits. Parents, Florida parents can go to a judge, a Florida judge, and get injunctive relief if a teacher talks about gender or sexuality or if the teacher fails to prevent kids from talking about gender or sexuality in the classroom. And the school would have to pay the legal fees if that injunction gets granted. Right, so no conversations at all about sexuality are allowed. So I assume that also means talking about, like, heterosexual stuff, because otherwise this whole <laughs> law would just look like bigotry. Sure would. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. On the plus side, though, health class, 45 minutes for the whole year now. They really trimmed that bad boy down. It's just... <laughs> all right, so this is, it's, this is so fucking gross. Let's be perfectly clear about what the Florida Republicans are getting at without saying it outright in the bill. They have a bunch of transphobic parents who refuse to acknowledge the gender identity of their kids and refuse to use desired pronouns. And those people wanted a law that would make it illegal for a teacher to affirm the trans identity of a student, their child, who they are being assholes to and giant bigots to. Right, which in turn kills queer kids, right? They they want to murder queer kids by legally flashing the lights of the kindergarten classroom. That's what they're hoping for. Yeah, th that's not hyperbole. Statistically, what Eli just said is factually true. Yes. Mm -hmm. So you're probably thinking, why does the Republican Party of Florida hate freedom? I thought freedom was like their whole thing. Well, it is until it isn't. They love to talk about freedom and gumption and power move dynamics and fucking leg day. But their other big thing that Florida Republicans don't like to talk about is their all-consuming, crippling fear about society leaving them behind to die slowly in a tepid pool of their own crotch sweat down in Florida. So that's what we're seeing. They have their shitty little area where they can still cling to power for a little bit longer, and they're going to make a bunch of bigot rules like a Nazi eight-year-old with a tree fort the goddamn state. That's what Florida is right now. But the tree fort thing is perfect. You know, they can just put up a sign saying no girls allowed, and then we can sue them under their own laws for being suspiciously keen of male-only company. It's fine. It's perfect. <laughs> Everybody wins. Hold on, it's confusing. He made a good point, I think. <laughs> Fuck. Are we kicked out of our own fort? Do we have to leave it? <laughs> <laughs> and in an asshole a day news. Not enough people voted for Hillary Clinton, and so now the highest court in America is a magic eight ball with mostly bad answers. It is your fault. You should feel bad if you didn't vote for Hillary yeah. Clinton. And since it's going to be that way till Joe Biden packs the court or someone brave Kavanaugh, I'm pleased to announce that we got a temporary good result this week as the Supreme Court refused to block New York City's vaccine mandate for teachers. Okay, so I guess it's normally Noah who asks Andrew whether it's okay to speculate about Kavanaugh, you know, it's it's actually really fun to see it from this side to see how the show gets made. You, know, yeah. you can see all the ins and outs, the cogs turn. And we're back. Sorry about all that beeping. It was like technical difficulties. Beyond, I don't know. Something happened and there were beeps, whatever. Eli, you were talking about um the Supreme Court of Alive people that weren't threatened at all? Yeah. For
The mandate, which went into effect this Valentine's Day, was a love letter of sorts to the children of NYC saying, hey, kiddos, you don't have to learn from people who know less about science than you, regardless of what grade you're in. And as has been the case with all mandates and as will be the case with all mandates going forward, the vast, vast majority of NYC teachers who were hoping this objection would succeed will now go and get the shot. Mm -hmm. And those who won't should not be teachers. That's correct. So mm. that's a good thing, too. This is a win, 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 people. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Like the, the vaccine definitely has this bonus use of finding out, you know, who is too stupid to be responsible for my kids. It's a useful <laughs> test for that. That is. Also, who can we trick into drinking pee? There's lots of good, <laughs> useful tests here, Marsh. Yes, thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, I should point out that this stupid fucking idiotic fight isn't over. This was just like them trying to stop it before it went into effect. And given how the court has ruled on vaccine mandates to date, I'd say there's a pretty good chance this mandate doesn't succeed in the long run. But it's 2022, and I'll take idiots getting an unpaid vacation where I can get it. I'll probably get paid. <laughs> and in Plan B for Doubter Jake News, <laughs> it's pretty rare here in the UK for the religious beliefs of our politicians to come up, other than in the ongoing saga that is Northern Irish politics, but we won't talk about that because we never talk about that. <laughs> but down in London and in the House of Parliament, we tend not to have many you know, religious lawmaker attempts at theocracy stories. It doesn't really come up that often. And that may not be for want of trying, because especially in the case of Conservative MP, Minister for Victorian Nostalgia, and man who makes Eli's British character seem downright believable, Jacob Rees-Mogg. <laughs> yeah. Plus, he looks like Slenderman's court-appointed attorney, so... He really does. <laughs> he looks ridiculous. I, look, I looked him up again. He's so silly. He looks like... Uh, like, like John Oliver is a Keebler elf at the same time a little bit. Yeah, or they put John Oliver into that kind of stretchy Mikey TV thing from Willy Wonka. Right, yeah, exactly. Really sort of tall stretch version <laughs> of, uh, of John Oliver. Also, by the way, I had to look up Minister for Victorian Nostalgia because I thought that was fascinating. That's actually not a real thing, everybody <laughs> American. Marsh, that was a joke Marsh was making. That's not, they don't have that. It's not a real thing yet, but you know, we'll see how Brexit Britain goes exactly. in a couple of years. Time. <laughs> exactly. Johnson gets caught having another secret meeting. They'll fucking <laughs> create that office by next week. So for American listeners who don't really follow UK politics too closely, Jacob Rees-Mogg is essentially the kind of, he's got all the white bread religiosity of Mike Pence, but he's more old fashioned with it. He's kind of Mike Penny farthing, essentially, is what he, <laughs> what he is. And he's currently the leader of the House of Commons, which is a role that gives him the responsibility for scheduling what gets put up for parliamentary debate. And when he was asked to schedule time for debate on the cost of the morning after pill, Rees-Mogg, who is a staunch Catholic, completely refused, explaining that they couldn't, quote, expect him to speak in favor of abortifacients. What? Okay. To be fair, Jacob, I don't expect you to ride in a car that doesn't start with a crank, brother, but you do that. <laughs> so. Also, wouldn't a good Catholic speak, you know, against abortifacients? Wouldn't that an opportunity to, to be a good... He's a bad Catholic, is what I'm saying. He's a bad everything, yeah. essentially. He's bad he at a all bad things. And he's, he's subsequently been warned for misleading the House because, for one thing, the morning after pill doesn't induce abortion. It's not an abortifacient, except in the rhetoric from anti-abortion groups. And perhaps it would have been fine if 
he'd just realized that he'd made a mistake in the heat of the moment. Mm -hmm. And so he'd taken corrective action promptly the next morning to avoid any unwanted <laughs> outcomes and everything, like some sort of political plan B. <laughs> but he didn't do that. And instead, he's been called on to correct the official record. But nobody's holding their breath for that to actually happen. Then he's going to actually admit he was wrong or admit he was misleading because the entire concept of consequences was apparently one of the many things that died of COVID-19. Yeah, but it's okay. The <laughs> CDC and Boris Johnson have assured us that consequences are an acceptable loss. We got to all <laughs> okay. can't live in fear. I feel like the CDC would like to distance themselves from Boris Johnson really quick when they <laughs> get put in the same sentence right next to him like that. <laughs> So you might think that it's bad enough that uh, Rhys Mogg was trying to refer his way out of hosting a debate in Parliament on how to make reproductive health care more affordable and accessible, given that he's already been on the record for years as being completely opposed to abortion, even, he says, in cases of rape and incest. However, he isn't actually so opposed to these pills when it comes to selling them, given that he's invested five million pounds in Calbe Pharma, a company that sells abortion pills in Indonesia. Huh. Interesting. But, you know, all the anti-choice work that he does in the UK, that's like a like a carbon offset for unwanted fetuses, right? Like, I feel like that <laughs> can't. So he, he's in the, you know, the black or the red or whatever you want to call it, which is the good one in this case. It's hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about Reese Mogg is he's got six children, the most recent of which was born in 2017 and is named Sixtus. What? That's no. absolutely true. He's named Sixtus. <laughs> and when you've got so many children that you've got to resort to numbering them, maybe you've got to rethink your position on contraception. <laughs> or stop letting J.K. Rowling name your kids via the epilogues of her books. Yeah, I think there's a... <laughs> All right. Well, we're almost to a kid named Atis. So I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Either way, hey, all birds, this is your fucking segue. <laughs> Harry Potter and Atis. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor, Allbirds. Lululu, getting ready to jog stuff. Getting ready to jog stuff is my favorite stuff. Oh, hey, Heath, did I hear you were doing jog stuff? Mm -hmm. But it's, it's pouring with rain outside. I know it is, but these new shoes I got from Allbirds keep me warm and dry in all kinds of weather. Oh, really? Um, What are, what are they called? Oh, uh, it, the name is not important. I'm sure if you just got on the Allbirds website, you'll find the, the name. It, it's all good. No, no, come on. I love jog stuff, Heath. Come on. Maybe I want to buy a pair. <sighs> Fine. Okay. So they're they're called the um the Wool Dasher Mizzle. Good evening, traveler. It is us. Seriously, Heath, yeah. I'm gonna turn you into a ferret. Yeah, sorry. I'm gonna sorry. turn you into a it's ferret, a, man. <laughs> so my friend was asking about the shoes. Marsh, meet the Wool Dasher Mizzle, the um entity or whatever. He's like a magical creature. I'm not. I'm not really sure, but he appears. Oh, I'm say, from the High Court of the Fae, you f podcaster. Okay. Oh, yep. I don't know That's, what he is. Yeah, that. The right, right. I, I mean, I'm just wondering about the shoes, though. Mm. Yes, of course. The Wool Dash Abyssal, all birds' weather repellent performance running shoe. It's the first shoe of its kind. It's sustainably made from natural materials with a low environmental impact on the planet. Yeah. So, um, uh, my. You can say uh, it now. You can say, I'm here. I'm going to try to put it now. Okay, hat. you're already doesn't matter. My wool dasher mizzles are comfortable and stylish for a night out, but they make it easy to work out in any kind of weather. Plus, Allbirds printed the wool dasher mizzles carbon footprint right on the shoe, so you know its impact on the planet. Then, they offset that footprint to zero to make it a carbon neutral product. 
This winter, keep your feet cozy and dry with the Allbirds Wool Dasher Mizzles. Discover your perfect pair at allbirds.com today. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. All right. Well, well thanks, Wool Dasher Mizzle. Uh, I guess I'll see you around. Yep. See you, Marsh. <laughs> Wait, you know him? Oh, yeah, yeah. He was the uh, undersecretary for Shropshire for a while, I think. Oh, yeah. Okay. British politics is weird. It is. It is, yeah. Shropshire is a real place? It is. It is also a real place. Got it. Like Slough. <laughs> Just like Slough. Okay. Telford. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back. Next up in headlines, in Zillage People News. A new Zillow advertisement shows two black women sitting on a couch together. And you know what that means. What are the guys talking about? It's the newest, the greatest Christian breakout. That's right, the television showed gay people existing, which means it was time for the fractionally named One Million Moms to chime on in. They described the content of the ad as, quote, two women playfully and lovingly stroking, caressing, and tickling each other's hands, end quote, hmm. which I'm going to go ahead and say it is the most gay longing we've ever seen a Christian pack into a sentence on this podcast, <laughs> and we cover Steve Anderson on a regular basis. <laughs> And the thing is, they never even mentioned the way that the ad shows at length the women very sensually stroking a dog, which I guess means one million moms are officially okay with hot woman on dog action. <laughs> oh, bitches get scritches or something like that. That's a good title. The group goes on to say, quote, this commercial promotes same sex relationships and the LGBTQ agenda. One Million Moms continues to stand up for biblical truth, which is very clear in Romans one twenty six through 27 about this particular type of sexual perversion, end quote. Hmm. For those unfamiliar, that's the passage that talked about how mad God is about all the scissoring. Yeah. So that verse from Romans doesn't mention anything about hand stuff, though. <laughs> but I will say there is a Bible verse about Jesus Christ getting his stigmata wounds, finger banged by all his dude bro friends. I'm just saying, that was in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, where was... They do that. Where was that Super Bowl commercial? It's very <laughs> sexual. Yeah, the group complaint concludes, quote, there's concern about the way this advertisement is pushing the LGBTQ agenda, but an even greater concern is that the commercial is airing when children are likely watching television, end quote. Which is stupid, but it's also inaccurate since the ad ran... Last year. <laughs> They're just complaining about it now. So, yeah, Monica, Cole, of course, and the one million Karens, unless your kids are watching TV in the past, at which point it might be too late to do anything about that in the future, I think they're safe <laughs> from the lustful finger stroking that's keeping you up at night, girl. <laughs> But, you know, kudos to them at least for being into hand stuff. Because foot fetishes, they're just so mainstream these days. It's basically mm. a cliche. I'm proud of them for owning their hand fetish. Yeah, you know what? It's mm. just boring at this point. Mm. And in inocul news, uh, <laughs> as the world has passed more than 10 billion COVID-19 vaccine doses administered, and yet somehow the global population hasn't dropped by... 10 billion, there's been a fair <laughs> bit of confusion among the Bill Gates is personally trying to kill you with a vaccines crowd. Sure. There's nothing more likely to take the momentum out of a global movement warning about an oncoming genocide than when that genocide doesn't happen. Like, not even a little bit. Yet. You say that now, Marsh, but before you know it, a cold Spanish soup is knocking at your door. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so if you thought all of that would give the anti-vaxxers pause for thought, 
you've forgotten that thought really isn't part of their skill set. <laughs> Which is why conspiracy social media has been alight of late with the next big fear. The COVID-19 vaccines give you AIDS. What the okay. fuck is happening? Is this a continuation of the COVID vaccine turns you gay? Because I called this. I did call this. Okay. Did 10 billion people get AIDS recently? Because um, that would need to have happened, right? Yeah. Again, the thought isn't part of their skill set. Sorry. Yep. I, I heard it. Yep. Got it. <laughs> this this whole latest pivot away from reality came last week as the UK recognized National HIV Testing Week, which is an initiative aimed at raising awareness and encouraging people to find out their HIV status to try and tackle the spread of HIV. But given that familiarity with public health measures also isn't really part of the anti-vax skill set. No. <laughs> For a lot of these COVID conspiracists, this was the first they'd ever heard of HIV testing week, which meant it must be a brand new thing just invented as a tool for the new world order or something like that. I mean, if I never heard about that is the standard for something being a tool of the new world order, pretty much everything except the Boots meal deal is going to be a tool of the new world order. <laughs> the Boots meal deal? What? Trust me, Heath, English listeners loved it. Sick burn. Trust oh, me. Oh, yeah, rolling in the aisles over here. Okay, you. yeah, I can hear Marsh rolling. So I just <laughs> want to be clear, though, about this theory. They think the new world order gave us all AIDS in the vaccine but then they accidentally did an AIDS testing week and they were like, fuck, that's going to alert them of our thing. Yes. Or they deliberately did it in order to make people realize they've got it because step three profit. I'm not sure. It's really yeah. hard to tell. Oh, if you look at the AIDS, it's like the the, the cat. It's like the Schrodinger's cat. <laughs> Quantum AIDS. Yeah. Yeah. All of this paranoia and fear is actually based on two articles that, you know, absolutely proved that the COVID-19 vaccine was deliberately engineered in order to give you AIDS, as long as you didn't do anything silly like actually read the articles at all. <laughs> they both concerned a letter to The Lancet from October 2020, which warned that one of the COVID-19 vaccine technologies that was under development in October 2020 might produce a false positive on an HIV test, which could then scare some people unnecessarily. And then another vaccine that was under development at the time could potentially maybe have made you more susceptible to contracting HIV if you got the vaccine and then did any of the things that exposed you to HIV afterwards. You hear that, Steve? I got the new vaccine. So no sharing needles this week. I take my health mm. seriously. OK. OK. Well, but if I give you AIDS, it's probably a false positive. Did, did you even read the article? It's probably not real. <laughs> Just think it through. So there's only a few problems with the anti-vaxxers logic here. One of them is that getting a false positive on an HIV test obviously isn't the same thing as contracting HIV. That's what false means. <laughs> Those are different. That's the false positive. Okay. I was confused about that, yes. The other problem is that making you possibly maybe a bit more susceptible to contracting HIV, again, isn't the same as actually giving you HIV. Sure. And then, yep. and this is probably more significant of all, none of the vaccines that went into production were based on either of these technologies because of the whole false positive thing and the susceptibility <laughs> we to HIV. Didn't even make them. We didn't use them. <laughs> it is not even wrong. Amazing. It's null. The truth value is null. <laughs> not even wrong. That's correct. But still, being scared of a vaccine that nobody has ever been given makes about as much sense as being scared of a vaccine that 5 billion people have been given and have been completely fine with. Cool. Got it. All right. Wow. All right. We got one more story. We have, in fact, one of my favorite stories ever. It doesn't involve the slow, agonizing death of my enemies or the 
Sexual Failures of Ben Shapiro. But it's still right up there. It's one of my favorite stories. It's about people believing in something that's really stupid and taking it way too fucking seriously. Sorry, okay, everybody knows what religion is. That's the whole, I guess. <laughs> it's a very specific version of what I just said, and it's delightful. A Catholic priest found out he was saying the magic spell slightly wrong during his career of performing baptisms, which means all those baptisms technically don't count. So he had to resign in disgrace. He did. Because the magic didn't work. Wow, I mean, who knew resign in disgrace was even an option for Catholic priests? Like, there's yep. going to be several thousand priests who are going to be so red-faced when they realize that was an option. <laughs> Just a toddler at the gates of hell. Yeah, it turns out it's Adomini Patri, not Adomini Patrice. So, yeah, get on in there, you scamp. Sorry about that. Okay. So, here's how a whole bunch of fake farcical aquatic ceremonies happened. Father Andres Arango started serving at St. Gregory Church in Arizona in 2017, and part of his job is baptizing people. In Catholicism, you're not a real Christian until you get baptized. A real priest has to sprinkle you with real holy water, and they have to say the real spell. Now, Father Arango, he'd say, we baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But in the real spell, the priest has to say, I baptize you, not we baptize wow, you. Wow, that is way too close to the joke I wrote in the last <laughs> It is more of a subtle mistake. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, and I get it. I get it. People get really pissy about the whole I, we thing at religious ceremonies. You know, as my wedding vows can attest. <laughs> Saying we do really kill the vibe of the whole day. I'm accidentally in a polycule. It's the royal we. Or were you into it? No, it's the royal we. Well, somehow, Father Arango's mistake got reported back to the Vatican Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith. That's the thing they have. They have, like, secret shoppers or something, and they tell this Vatican <laughs> congregation about mistakes. So the magic spell compliance department that they apparently have wrote a letter to St. Gregory Church explaining that their secret chopper told them, and, you know, Arango has to leave now. According to the letter from Bishop Thomas Olmsted, quote, the issue with using we is that it's not the community that baptizes a person. Rather, it is Christ and him alone who presides at all of the sacrament, and so it is Christ Jesus who baptizes. End quote. Wait, wait, wait. The I baptize you bit is meant to be Christ is the I, not the priest? That's correct. So, so Jesus is just like this massive credit hog, just taking credit <laughs> yeah. of every one of the baptisms that's happening everywhere. Yeah, that's what's standing happening. Standing outside of a club, getting in a bouncer's face. Do you know who my father is? Do you know who my father is? <laughs> so, Father Arango ran away crying and cut his tongue out with a letter opener or or maybe he just left and he stopped at the TGI Fridays to fill out an application. E either way, that's not the end of the story because religion is fucking insane. Sure is. All those baptisms don't technically count, which means a whole bunch of people are technically <laughs> not Christian because of this. So if they die, they're technically 
going to a lake of fire for all of eternity. Yep, <laughs> that is the problem. <laughs> the church could, I guess, be held legally liable for that? <laughs> yeah, whatever that means, yes. Yeah. So, so now the diocese has, seriously, this is real, they have a, like a magical SWAT team getting in touch with all the affected people as fast as they can. Like they just learned about having herpes and they have to call everyone really quick. <laughs> but the thing is, are we sure it, it isn't that they've just learned they've got herpes and got to call everyone real quick? <laughs> and, and this, this whole botched baptism thing is just a cover story because let's face it, which of these things is more likely? Yeah. It's definitely the herpes thing. <laughs> yeah, don't be fooled by the adults in the mix. Everyone was a kid when he got his hands on them, so I'm going with herpes. I'm going with herpes. <sighs> okay, we don't know for sure. So... Here's what I'm thinking would be a a super mean thing that nobody, we should not do this. I'm saying we don't do this. We do not start leaving anonymous tips for the Vatican about magical spells that were slightly technically wrong. We don't do that <laughs> because they would have to spend enormous amounts of time and energy dealing with that. And that would be, we should not do that. That would be mean and wrong. Oh, my God. We found Noah's calling when the podcast goes under professional Catholic ceremony <laughs> pedant. <laughs> we got you a backup, buddy. <laughs> Happy anniversary. <laughs> and on that note, we're going to wrap up the headlines. Marsh, Eli, either one of you, you want to exclaim something? Usually I do. Explain something here. Marsh, go for it. I'm badly under pressure. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to give Marsh a couple minutes to listen to a little bit of Rocky music, get psyched up for the next segment, and we'll take a quick break for a word from our sponsor, Stamps.com. Right, so then you enter it into the computer and schedule your pickup. Right, and and then the owl comes to get it? No, 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 man, the postman comes. Who's who's not an owl? Nobody involved is an owl. Hey, guys, what you talking about? Oh, I was just explaining stamps.com to Marsh. He's a little used to how things are done over in England, I guess, so it's like a lot of owl-based stuff. Sure, but Heath, what's stamps.com? Stamps.com lets you print official postage right from your computer and saves you money in the process so you can spend less time at the post office and more time making your customers happy. And Heath told me that you don't even need to bribe Mr. Winston to let you to the post box. Is that true? Yes. Mm -hmm. Who's Mr. Winston? Come on, like you don't know Mr. Winston. Okay, just moon right past it. So stamps.com lets you get discounts you can't find anywhere else, like up to 40% off USPS rates and 76% off UPS all you need is a computer and a standard printer. No special supplies or equipment. No print spindle. No print spindle. Nope. Stop overpaying for shipping with stamps.com. Sign up with the promo code SCATHING for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and enter the code SCATHING. Thanks, Heath. So that means there's no more saltwater taffies for you, Miss Ringbottom. Marsh, is that actually how the British Post Office works, or are you just messing with us? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's, it is? I I feel like you said what you're saying it is. Like, is, or is he? Yep. So do we have to get Taffy? Hi, I'm Eli Bosnick. I'm Heath Enright. And I'm Michael Marshall. Here to tell you about our third sponsor this week, not CBD Bullshit. Oh God, okay, here we go, here we go. That's right. Right here in this third ad spot, is where we could be advertising CBD bullshit for just so much money, but we're not. That's right, we could. But thanks to some people, we aren't doing that because they'll yell at us and make it illegal to be gay in Britain. Right, for the last time, that is not what homeopathy means. Mm. So yeah, 
Enjoy this third ad break filled with not CBD bullshit and their money. Thanks to bullies who shall remain nameless. All right. You know what? I'll tell you what. You can sell all the CBD bullshit you want at your merch table at QED later this year. Really? I mean, you can try. I feel like it's a trap, though. Oh, it's absolutely a trap. Still going to try, though. As our very own Noah and Lucinda Lusion celebrate their 25th wedding anniversary, Heath and I were forced to figure out how to entertain you in their absence. And after several company meetings where Heath and I's ideas were cruelly rejected, our very own Michael Marshall offered to sub in on the show and keep us in line. Now, we consider ourselves to be asshole connoisseurs here at Puzzle in a Thunderstorm LLC, but Michael Marshall, like that rare cinephile aware of a renamed print of Bay of Blood, has some asshole deep cuts that we just had to share with you. So without further ado, we are pleased to present... Hoomst bullshit is it? Really? Hoomst? Well, is that why you hijacked the intro that I was going to do? Because you wanted to do Hoomst bullshit is it? Yeah. Also, Noah works really hard on the segment titles, and I had to punish him for taking a vacation somehow, you know? And to be fair, he could have gone with asshole connoisseurs, and I'm pretty sure that's already copyrighted by at least five different companies of uh, of DVD producers. (laughs) All right. Buying that and directing it to Marsha's Wikipedia page. (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) Just go ahead and start the thing. I'll just keep this in the background. (laughs) Fantastic. So, Marsh, before we get into your whomst selection maybe you can give us a little background just set the stage would you say the world right now is good at knowing true things like what's the epistemology <laughs> situation in 2022 in the world uh okay well if the pandemic has taught us anything it's that pseudoscience these days is neither discreet nor discreet in that it pours out of the, the biggest social media channels and podcast platforms like sewage to an open sluice and its stream of effluence <laughs> spreads and sprays everywhere indiscriminately. Sure. And they're literally doing pee too, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. And gone are the days when your average anti-vaxxer would look askance at people who thought 9-11 was an inside job. And when the guy who was cleaning out your chakras wouldn't then casually segue to a list of things he dislikes about the Jews. Sure. Uh, Marsh, Keith lives in Michigan. Relatively He's lucky if the guy cleaning out his ears doesn't tell him how much he hates the Jews. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Melissa Carone needed a job. I was being nice. I was being a job creator. So while there's a lot of value in picking out a particular strand of pseudoscience and then finding out just how bullshit is it, I think it's also useful to bear in mind that while the borders between one woo idea and another idea are well and truly down, there's as much value in understanding the people who are trying to open the fecal floodgates and and why they're doing that. Sure. So with that in mind, I thought I'd look at who out there is giving society a reverse enema in that they're actively trying to fill it with more shit. And to start things off, I want to talk about someone who who started off as an investment banker hooked on heroin Yikes. and then went downhill from there. Yikes. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about the smirk emoji having a midlife crisis, Brian Rose. <laughs> okay, well, what's 
a Brian Rose. <laughs> so uh, according to, to Rose's telling of his backstory, he graduated from MIT and immediately took up a job as an advanced trader on Wall Street. Nope. And he was handling $100 million worth of investments at the age of 22. I don't think there's a position called advanced trade. Like there's not beginner <laughs> trader at Goldman yeah, Sachs. Yeah, there's intermediate. And then you so go he was a beginner to, at 20. No. You got to wrestle. Intermediate at 21. It's not accurate. Got a green belt trader and then you can <laughs> be an advanced trader. He claims that he's made millions in personal wealth before giving up that entire lifestyle variously because he, quote, realized how corrupt the system was for the average investor mm. or because he became addicted to alcohol and heroin and hit a personal law. Okay. He's one or the other. Idiot. Should have moved to Georgia and started a podcast with his married friends. That's okay. the way. It's oh. not. <laughs> I was handling way more than $100 million worth of investments. <laughs> it's not, it doesn't even make sense. If If all of this seems a bit... Remarkable, dramatic, unverifiable. It's because, like so much of Brian's success story, we've only got Brian's word for it. And Brian's entire business model gives him motivation to exaggerate stuff. Okay, you know what? I think he's lying. I think he <laughs> is making up a bunch of the stuff already that you said, and there will be a bunch more after this. Mm, yeah, and you sitting there under the U.S. libel laws are free to think that, Heath. You are absolutely <laughs> free to think that. But so you disagree, Mark? You're saying you disagree. You what, believe. What we do you think it's true, everything you said. <laughs> Legally, according to the lawyers. what we know for absolute certainty, we know for sure, is that by 2011, he moved from the U.S. to the U.K. He bought himself a pinstripe suit, a red tie, a British passport, and he'd set up the London Real YouTube channel. And given how many bullshit peddlers don't bother with the suit thing... That obviously put him ahead of the game. Okay, I yep. see his angle here. And do not forget about that tie. That is the most important thing that he owns based on everything I've seen him do. Absolutely. And okay, this this is going to sound like the most minor of gripes I could possibly level at Brian Rawls, but I cannot let it pass, right? Brian Rawls is described as a podcaster because he's got a YouTube channel in which he interviews people on camera and then posts his videos to his YouTube channel. No, nope. which isn't a podcast. That's a video series. Yeah, fuck you. Yeah, if I can see your lips move while you're spouting bullshit, you're not a podcast. You're a video. <laughs> I know it's a small hill to die on. Yeah, real podcasters don't show up on camera, like vampires and the people who write Taylor Swift's music. <laughs> How dare you? Hey, <laughs> Teddy, you're going to go after Teddy. We're in a fight. I hate you. You don't want to get the wrong side of it. Look what happened to the guy from Blur. See? <laughs> He, he did exactly that. Never mind. Yep. Um, yep. True story. So whatever whatever London Real is, it's undeniably prolific. Because since 2011, Rose has posted more than 8,500 videos, which are mostly slippets from longer interviews he's done. So he'll sit down with a guest for like an hour or so, and then he chops it into six or seven videos, which he gives each of them eye-catching titles and a, a, a big picture to on the front of it. And then he posts this kind of accompanying commentary video, usually of Brian like walking through a park talking about how great he is. <laughs> I've seen a few of these. They're so bad. It's like he made dating videos to attract himself into masturbating with himself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what those videos look like. Yeah, yeah. And then you get to his breakdancing videos and his shadow boxing uh, videos, and that's exactly that. That's <laughs> and he exactly swipes that. left on himself, and it's really <laughs> depressing. Then he's got a podcast feed, which spits out an episode every single day. Wow. But some of those episodes are like 70 seconds long, and they're just adverts for his, pro his, his various businesses and projects and stuff. Wow. Retracted. Yeah, it's like... If this show cut every few sentences up and then released them as separate episodes and then boasted about how many shows have been made, that's exactly what he's doing, basically. Yeah, guys, those are TikToks. Get your platform right. You can <laughs> exactly. have a TikTok. Exactly. 
And among Rose's interviewees are a veritable who's who of bro culture and toxic masculinity. It's all boxers and wrestlers and MMA fighters and athletes and rappers and comedians and cryptocurrency promoters and financial advisors yeah. and very, very, very occasionally women. Really? Yeah, in a, in a whole year across 2,000 videos, Rose only interviewed three women. Three out of 2,000. Okay. Yeah, the actor Priyanka Chopra. What? He interviewed the psychotherapist Esther Perel and his grandma. Those are the three women. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but to be fair, grandma was one of his toughest interviews. She put him in a chokehold and everything. She sure. called him a fraud. How the fuck did he get Priyanka Chopra? That bothers me. That bothers me a lot. Also, in fairness, I'm guessing he lined up other women, though, not just those three. But then he started talking about the blockchain, and they're like, I have to leave, but I contractually <laughs> have to leave. I'm leaving. Absolutely. So he's got these interview videos, and then he intersperses those with these self-aggrandizing monologues, his workout videos, his clips of him shadow boxing, his clips of him doing the world's slowest, saddest breakdancing. Yes. <laughs> videos of him rapping exactly as you'd imagine a 50-year-old former investment, investment banker might rap. It's all very, since the divorce, I'm actually doing better than ever. Yeah. That's the vibe you get from mm -hmm. If a YouTube channel could offer to show me a few BJJ moves back at his place, it's Brian Rose's YouTube channel. His channel is everything an asshole dude bro ever said to a woman's ear from way too close. Like in that meme, he's just yelling and she hates it. She's staring out into the nothingness. Yeah. It's absolutely that. It really, really is. And much of that early output was kind of bland and uncontroversial, but he did start flirting with pseudoscience and misinformation. So he interviewed people about The Secret. He drank his own piss. What? He talked to Jordan Peterson, a men's right activist and a climate change denier. Oh, God. That's a sentence that works with or without the Oxford comma. Just to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And he is Stalin and Hitler also. Yep. Yep. <laughs> And some people have questioned whether Rose inflates his view counts and his subscriber counts with bought followers in order to contribute to his all-important air of success. And sadly, I lack the technical skills to prove those people wrong. I don't believe you. Well, okay. <laughs> he allegedly has 2.06 million subscribers to his YouTube channel when I checked. And I also checked his interview with international superstar actor Priyanka Chopra, that video has about 7,100 views. <laughs> those, yeah. are, those are two data points. You decide what that means. <laughs> you decide. All right, so Marsh, can you tell us how a guy like that rose to prominence? Don't, please don't. This is why I do the segue questions. Don't. Rose. You hijack the intro, and now you're doing His name? segue. That, <laughs> Ro yeah, Rose, got it. Yeah, yeah. Homophone. <laughs> So some of Rose's interviews did get him a lot more attention. So in 2019, he interviewed none other than David Icke, who told him that 9-11 was a plot hatched by the state of Israel, that a large group of ultra-Zionists in America were responsible for the cover-up, and that there is a, quote, hidden hand of, quote, ultra-Zionist extremists who run the world through a series of shadowy organizations. You know, it was pretty standard Icke stuff. Sure. Sorry, Marsh, now that we're actually reading the book, 
way too many of those sentences made sense for it to be standard Ike. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> summarized yeah. Ike. And too few of them were in meme format, yeah. <laughs> what does he think the medium Zionists are doing? Because <laughs> he thinks there's a class called Ultra that did mm. this big conspiracy. The medium ones were like, let's not, we, we shouldn't do that. We'll, we'll yeah, just... Yeah, just, just smaller scale stuff. They, they, like pranks. They disrupt things. Yeah. yeah, they hide stuff that you're looking for. <laughs> so, you, so your day just gets a little bit shittier. Move your cheese. It's that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah a lot exactly. of 4G. <laughs> <laughs> this video with Ike, it caused a bit of controversy, which Rawls clearly really enjoyed. And so in April 2020, he had David Ike back on the show to talk about how COVID's this big hoax and how all the symptoms of COVID are actually caused by 5G because the government <laughs> needs to kill people so they can fill the new mortuaries that they've built in order to respond to COVID. Uh, okay, <laughs> so he thinks the government invented don't, the five try, no. no no okay yeah sorry don't try i don't think it through. i don't know why i tried to think it through with a question <laughs> marsh go ahead what we do know is that the interview reached literally tens of thousands of live viewers before youtube eventually pulled it and rose claimed after the interview that he wasn't endorsing ike's bullshit he was merely hearing out alternative views he loves that phrase about i don't agree with the things you say but i'll defend to the death your right to say it he loves that kind of thing sure and it it's an excuse that is somewhat undermined by the fact that Rose finished that interview with David Icke by shaking Icke's hand and saying that Icke had, quote, amazing knowledge and amazing perspectives about what's going on. Here. Hey, he was just doing his job, not agreeing or disagreeing with the anti-Semite. Cool, cool. Yeah, yeah that, that's historically a cool thing. Yeah, like if Rose did disagree with anything Ike said, he did an amazing job of hiding it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like how your conversations on Be Reasonable are polite and good natured, but you've never ended an episode with, well, you've made some amazing points, Leo the Lion. AIDS probably is the parasite. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Marsh. So in terrible internet circles, I understand that Rose is kind of known as a free speech warrior. Can you tell us a little bit about how that happened? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So when this whole interview with Ike was removed by YouTube, Rose smelled opportunity in that hugely lucrative, help me, I'm being silenced market that we see all these days. Sure. He decided he'd create his own streaming platform with hookers and anti-Semitism <laughs> called Digital Freedom TV. Dude, get cocaine. That's the best part. Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and all he needed in order to create Digital Freedom TV was $100,000 to set it up which was a bit confusing because it very clearly already existed because he showed it off as part of the fundraising appeal. So you'd think I really need to raise money to be able to build a brand new home is a less, would be a less convincing sales pitch <laughs> when delivered from the balcony from, of your brand new from home. From that house. Yeah. yeah. But it didn't stop him apparently <laughs> raising $100,000 in a single day, according to Brian Rose. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, if you believe his figures, Rose is a bit like the second largest theme park in France, in that everywhere you look, there's a huge asterisk. <laughs> Listener, if I can pull back the curtain a bit, Marsh has so little faith in my ability to know what an asterisk is that he put an example in brackets nope. in our script. Mm, nope. What I'm saying is he's filling in for Noah just wow. fine. Yikes. Right, I mean, just to be clear, that was a park asterisk joke. <laughs> I wasn't assuming you were illiterate, I was assuming you were uncultured. Okay, well, turns out both are true. Eli did not know about park asterisks, but more importantly, he thought the letter X was an asterisk. Oh, right, yeah, we're getting lost in the weeds here. Him. Marsh is telling us about a very important person from Guns N' Roses. You put the, mark, <laughs> you put the letter X in print. Marsh, and Eli thought that was a visual representation of an asterisk's 
that you couldn't type. Yeah, there's no when, other way. How else would you get an answer into a when, yes, It's impossible. It's impossible. When did he come out with wild horses, Marsh? Stay on subject. Okay, okay. So Rose reckons he raised $100,000 to build the already built website. And then he reckons he raised a further $100,000 in order to upload a second interview that he recorded with David Icke. You might be wondering why he needed $100,000 to upload a video he'd recorded to a platform he'd built. That he already built, yeah. Yeah, the answer is free speech. (laughs) Sorry, yep. Got it. Hey, just in case that's valid, if we hit our latest Patreon goal, we'll have Marshawn scathing. I'll I'll talk about Brian Rose, yeah, for sure. (laughs) So that was all free speech, as was the $200,000 he wanted before he'd upload the interviews he'd recorded with Andrew Wakefield, Robin F. Kennedy, Judy Miscovich, (sighs) Alex Jones, Cheryl Tenpenny. Why so many anti-vaxxers, you might wonder? Free speech. God, I know all those names and it's terrifying. Like, okay, Alex Jones, Andrew Wakefield, Kennedy, but I I knew Sherry Tenpenny. That that Mm -hmm. bothers me. I just want to be clear, though, what he did was free speech ransom. He ran. If if you don't pay him enough, bring the free speech speech. to the drop point (laughs) and I'll (laughs) give me Bitcoin. Bring a bag full of David Icke. (laughs) That's, That's not where his fundraising stopped. So the next thing he needed was $200,000 a month to keep his website running, which is a lot. Plus, he needed an extra $200,000 to add, quote, decentralized blockchain ledger technology to his website, which, to be absolutely clear, That's not... isn't a thing you can meaningfully nope. add to a video streaming <laughs> That's site. That's nonsense. Which is presumably why he didn't do that, but kept the money, <laughs> if there ever was the money, asterisk. It's impossible oh, yeah, but, to okay. You just try to funge those videos. Though. You try. <laughs> Side note, apropos of nothing. If our Patreon goes over $1 million, we will make this show 100% gluten-free. 100%. Hey, it's already a third vegan, people. Come on, we're almost there. (laughs) Well, you cheat sometimes. I don't! Yeah, you do. You cheat. You cheat. On your wife. You have what? That's why she left you. (laughs) You have a belt made of leather right now on you. I do not! Heath cut all this. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brian Rose, he's got all that extra money. He didn't spend that $200,000 on adding decentralized blockchain ledger technology, nor did he spend the extra $250,000 he'd go on to say that he raised in order to develop an app to allow people to watch his interviews on their phone. Because two years later, there is no app. He also <laughs> said, he also claims he, he uh, crowdfunded $250,000 to allow him to bring a court against YouTube in the European Court of Human Rights. A case what? that never got filed because it makes no sense and would have zero hope of success because that's not what the European <laughs> Court of Human Rights is for. Just YouTube sitting in jail in the Hague. Oh, what am I in for? Yeah, deplatforming. It's actually a war crime. You can't. It's <laughs> Geneva Convention. Look, it's not that I'm paying super close attention to the European Court of Human Rights or anything, but it seems like they spend a lot of time these days telling bigots, no, you don't get to go here. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was Rose's digital freedom platform that proudly hosted the world premiere of the sequel to the anti-vax film Pandemic in August 2020. We covered it on GAM. And for a man who repeatedly claims he isn't an anti-vaxxer, Rose spends, seems to spend more time talking to anti-vaxxers than I do. <laughs> By the end of 2020, he'd uploaded 57 interviews to Digital Freedom Platform TV, all of which were a mix of anti-vaxxers, COVID-19 misinformation sources, or people warning that wokeness and cancel culture were coming for your kids. <laughs> well, I mean, if you measure by time, yes, mostly anti-vaxxers, but by area on the screen, tie knots. 
It is tie knots. <laughs> what is what is the knot he is tying? It's bananas. It's bigger than his face. Windsor. Yeah. <laughs> it's like every morning he wakes up with the courage to hang himself and then just no, nah, it's a necktie. <laughs> but I believe in you, Brian. I believe in you, buddy. You won't do it. Do it. You won't. Do it. You were saying, Marsh. You were saying, you were trying to avoid being any part of the audio. Go on, Marsh. And we're back. Sorry, there's a bunch of beeps or something again. I don't know what happened. It's happening. Andrew's like, yeah, while we're still talking about these very much still alive, Brian Rose, currently. But honestly, the cast list for Digital Freedom Platform TV reads like a to-do list for essentially this whom's bullshit is it segment. You've got Andrew Wakefield, you've got Mickey Willis, Candace Owen, Alex Jones, James Lindsay, Dolores Cahill, Charlie oh. Kirk, Dennis Prager. They're all there. God. Never thought I'd find myself thinking Dennis Prager deserves better company, but here we are, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus, here he are. does. He is by far the most reasonable person in that list for the first time ever anybody said that sentence. Wow. And despite him claiming to raise literally more than a million dollars of monthly upkeep fees, Rose stopped adding any new content to the Digital Freedom Platform TV in November 2023, months after it had launched, until last month when he sat down for the sixth time now with David Icke for a live stream four hour misinformation marathon where Icke went back through all of his greatest hits while Rose just nodded and smiled and egged him on. Eli, look into my heart. Two words. Ike. Tacular. Yeah. We are watching that. Are you, for a million bucks a year, I'll fuck him for a four hour live stream, <laughs> let alone, let alone review it. That live stream might get stopped by YouTube, but the one that Rose and Ike did was not stopped by YouTube this time. It went out to a full audience of around seven and a half thousand viewers. Although the next day, Rose sent an email to everybody saying it was watched by a live audience of 1.1 million people. Oh, wasn't it like millions of people in this <laughs> subscriber list? Yeah, which I assume means that there was 7,500 people on YouTube and the other circa 1.1 million people were watching on <laughs> Rose's own platform where <laughs> only he gets to see the stats. Again, okay. asterisk. <laughs> All right. So from there, correct me if I'm wrong, he runs for mayor he of London? For- he absolutely runs for mayor of London. Yeah, absolutely. In the midst of all this controversy with the Ike interviews and the pandemic premiere, Brian Rose made the next logical step, which <laughs> is to run for mayor of London. Sure. And naturally, crowdsourced the funding for his campaign. Got it. Once again, he was quickly caught in controversy in order to boost his profile, get himself in the headlines, get himself in front of people. And so in January 2021, Brian and six of his staff were fined for breaching lockdown regulations while out campaigning. Yeah, here in the United States, we punish you for breaking lockdowns by spending half a million dollars of hospital resources to keep you alive. So I get it. I get it. I mean, here we punish lockdowns by electing you into office and keeping you there <laughs> and, having, and keeping you a very high effort in the <laughs> rolling ball, back so. pandemic protection. Yeah. <laughs> so Brian got fined for this breach of, uh, of lockdown rules, and it came while he was touring London on his, quote, digital battle bus, where he'd what? essentially drive to a different part of London sit in his bus and record YouTube videos and Instagram live streams. Yeah, technically the bus is a blockchain distributed <laughs> ledger technology bus of that. Brian would actually later claim that this whole thing was he was targeted and arrested for his political beliefs, which is obviously bullshit because for one, he wasn't actually arrested. And for two, <laughs> at most he got was a fine and being told to stop being a dickhead in the middle of a pandemic. 
But yet all of this made the papers and then he used that media coverage to bolster his free speech warrior persona that he cultivated throughout his campaign and when soliciting donations. The fuck we, we couldn't do it on GAM, but my favorite video from this period is that he has parked over a crosswalk or something. I'm not clear what it is. And the British cop is just like, just move the bus. And he's like, <laughs> why? Why do I need? And he's just like, because it's on a crosswalk. And it's, it is 10 minutes of glorious, unintentional comedy. Yeah. Yeah. It's one step away from, am I being detained? I don't have enough Bitcoin to pay for the moving transaction across the. Running his wrists into the cop. You're arresting me. You're arresting. I'm not arresting you. Just back your bus up six inches. <laughs> So as has become a running theme with Brian Rose, we have no idea how much money he made in donations while he was running for office, nor how much money he spent on his campaigning. He claimed in the press to have spent one million pounds trying to run for mayor. It was the first one million pound mayoral run. But that's almost certainly bullshit because, one, it's Brian Rose, so he's definitely exaggerating. Yeah. But also, two, if he wasn't exaggerating, he'd have just admitted to spending more than double the £420,000 spending cap that's in place for the London mayoral election. He'd have just admitted to an election fraud or an election violation. You guys have spending caps? Yeah, the spending caps. Why do you hate freedom? They're so low. They're so, so low. It's amazing. If you're running for this local office, it's like 50 grand. That's as much. Why do you hate peanut butter and freedom <laughs> is my combo question. Go ahead. I genuinely don't know whether Brian Rose would even have $1 million to spend on his, or $1 million to spend on his campaign because... He hasn't filed any company accounts since 2019. His annual accounts have not gone in for two and a bit years now. <laughs> okay, but he lost, right? He's not the mayor of London, as far as I know. No, he's not. No, absolutely not. So he was bragging about spending huge money on losing, right? Does, I think yeah. I don't think he knows what that means. How bragging? The works. Republican Party should sue him. <laughs> That's their thing. He doesn't know what direction to lie in. It's amazing. He doesn't. Well. Throughout the campaign, though, he was talking himself up as having a real chance of winning the election and reinventing London. He was promising all these different things he could do, massive changes to housing and transport that were absolutely not within the power of a mayor. It's not something he could do. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't sound like mayor stuff, no. Yeah, no, he promised that he'd build more houses in the first year than London has built in more than a decade on land that didn't actually belong to the government. So it wasn't even possible. Mm. He proudly declared himself in second place in the runnings. And it's because he was at one point second favourite in the betting markets that he later admitted he'd manipulated by putting a bet on himself in order to shorten his odds. What? <laughs> I don't think he knows how that works either. <laughs> well, no. So the, the bookies that he was running with were taking their odds based on how many on backing, essentially, as to, as to where people had uh, placed their backing. And because he put some sizable bets down, the bookies shortened their odds. Oh, sure. But that's not accomplishing anything <laughs> positive for him is what he well, understand how that works. So you would think that. But what it did accomplish was for him to spend all of his time in his videos saying, I'm in second place for the mayoral race, so please give me more money. And also to email interviewees like Steven Pinker to say, I'm second favorite and I'm closing the gap to winning. So do you really want okay. to have your videos removed from my YouTube channel just because I'm promoting uh, COVID denialists and anti-vaxxers? Okay, withdrawn. He nailed it. Yeah. Look, I know you're mad at me, but according to political analysts, fanduel.com, I'm really <laughs> up and coming. So. So when the election day finally came around in May 2021, and after all of Brian Rose's campaigning and bragging, he won 31,111 votes. Is that a lot? It was just a mere 980,000 shy of winning the election. <laughs> so he lost by a gnat's breath. He, he took 1.2% of the vote share, which is a figure that was so low, he didn't even get his deposit back for running. <laughs> Close. 
Brian Rose got 3,000 more votes than a candidate called Count Binface, who was a joke candidate who claims to be a 6,000-year-old alien <laughs> and whose manifesto genuinely included pledges to prevent any shop from charging more than one pound for a croissant and a, a, a manifesto <laughs> promise to move the hand dryer in the men's toilet at his local pub to a, quote, more sensible location. Okay, honestly, honestly, Marsh, post-Johnson, I think you guys should give Count Binface a try. Get wacky mm. with it. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So he beat David Icke by 3,000 votes. That's a solid showing. That's So uh, what does Brian Rose get from all this? What does, he, what does he win? So you could argue that the whole point of Brian Rose's run for mayor wasn't actually to win, but instead to project this air of success and achievement and legitimacy that he could then convert into YouTube subscriptions or to sign-ups for his suite of questionable self-improvement courses. Because on top of having this digital platform TV crowdfunding income, Brian Rose also has these other interesting sources of income, like the London Real Academy, which is an online learning business that offers several self-improvement courses, like his Business Accelerator course for would-be entrepreneurs, or his Life Accelerator course for self-betterment. Sorry, the Life Accelerator? Death? <laughs> the Life Accelerator? Old age. Yeah. Or you've got his uh, Broadcast Yourself course, which is a course on how to learn to podcast, which in many ways is the opposite of self-improvement. Hey, only physically, <laughs> mentally, and spiritually, Mark. <laughs> Financially. Uh, financially, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The promotional materials for the podcasting course talk about how one day you think about starting a podcast. And then before you know it, you're sat down having a two hour conversation with Arnold Schwarzenegger, who's laughing at your jokes. But <laughs> to the best of my research ability, Brian Rose has never interviewed Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> okay. Hallucinating an interview during which you apparently try out your stand up and you kill it instead of actually asking questions to Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's amazing. He's... The asshole with a statement instead of a question at his own Q&A show. <laughs> <laughs> he absolutely is. You're absolutely right. The worst. So, like, you guys have been podcasters for a while now. I can only assume that you also got your start on an eight-week how-to course, <laughs> where the first week was, why do you want to start a podcast? And then the second week was entirely dedicated to which microphones to buy. Microphones, right, yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Weeks three through eight, blockchain. Yep, that's the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, as someone who spent the first year of his podcasting career with his mic literally pointed at his desk, I feel like I teach the course in the same way a workplace safety poster teaches. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's been this long since the last microphone-related incident. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so for all of this incredible podcasting insight, students on the course pay between $3,000 and $15,000, depending on which tier they go Jeez, for. What? And part of the course involves you writing about your experiences on the course and putting those glowing reviews out on review sites as part of your activity diary, which gets checked regularly by the course conveners to make sure you're filling in your activity diary, which is why the internet is filled with glowing five-star reviews for browsers' courses, as well as literally <laughs> dozens of complaints on websites like ScamGuard. Sure. Okay. Does ScamGuard have a you deserved it category? Because I feel like it should. <laughs> one of Rose's former students, uh, when she was talking to uh, one of the newspapers about this, described the course as diabolical because she said, when she said, I want to leave the course, according to her, they wouldn't let her quit the course at all. And she only managed to get any of her money back by going through her credit card company and explaining to them that she'd been missold and that it was a scam. Look, I... I had to join the Church of Latter-day Saints and get them to cancel Brian Rose for me. His is ridiculous. <laughs> now I'm a Mormon, though, and I can't cancel that. It's the worst. 
there's, there are 15 students, right, who pay $15,000 for his inner circle course, which promises in the brochure regular one-to-one sessions with Brian. And according to those 15 independent people, in more than six months of being on the course, they'd had less than half an hour each with him, <laughs> cumulatively. Okay, just to clarify, because I can't emphasize this enough, podcast listener, for $15,000, not only will we teach you to podcast, you can fuck Heath. You can take your time. <laughs> or go fast. As you fuck Heath and learn to podcast. Yep. Whatever you want. <laughs> Is this legal? We're back. We're back. Sorry about those beats. Go ahead, Marsh. There's even a Facebook group that's entirely dedicated to former students trying to get their money back from him, who've all said that they felt that they were in a vulnerable position and that they saw Rose's courses as a way out of the financial hole that they were in. Okay, I'm really trying to have sympathy these people spent 15 grand as a way out of their financial hole. They had Hell yeah. 15 grand. Got to spend money to spend money. <laughs> Got it. They didn't necessarily have 15 grand. They found 15 grand wherever they found it, whether that's borrowing and all sorts of stuff like that. People you could stand out. on a pile of 15 grand and get out of a hole. But what? <laughs> <laughs> so... As well as all of this, Brian you also uses his uh, London Real presence to get fans to sign up to the affiliate investment courses from Agora Financial. And they sell stock trading systems and other forms of investment products that promise to make you rich fast. They're the kind of investment products that you sometimes get cold calls about telling you, you know, they'll make you vast amounts of money with their investment advice. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we've all had those phone calls. Sure, yeah. Uh, like Eli, like twice a day is what, hey. how I get those calls. <laughs> hey. Yep. How'd that short of Tesla go from like three hey. years ago? Really great. <laughs> Marsh, you were saying. <laughs> I was saying, I was saying. Over a period of two years, Brian Rose and his London Real Academy wrote 122 articles for Agora Financial. Wow. What level of podcast did Agora Financial sign up for? <laughs> <laughs> and what we do know about Agora Financial is that in February 2021, they and several of their affiliates agreed to pay more than $2 million to settle Federal Trade Commission charges that were saying that they'd tricked seniors into buying pamphlets, newsletters and other publications that falsely promised a cure for type 2 diabetes or promoted a phony plan to help them cash in on a government affiliated check program. Okay, so they... Definitely did that for more than $2 million worth of damage and settled for two. That's what happened. Yeah, they were very happy to settle for $2 million. That's what we absolutely know is true. And what we know from the Bureau of Consumer Protection is that Agora, quote, preyed primarily on older consumers with false or unsubstantiated claims about curing diabetes and free money from the government. I mean, look, falling for fake diabetes cures is one thing, but free money from the government? Get your head out of your ass, people. You should know better. (laughs) Unless you're a church. <laughs> and then there's the financial advisors that Brian Rose promotes, like Tika Tiwari, who Brian called my good friend who was voted the number one most trusted expert in cryptocurrency by an independent poll of 130,000 <laughs> analysts, which Brian says is why I buy everything Tika recommends. That's the dumbest poll. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is. But the thing about Tika Tawari, you know, Brian Rawls's good friend who Brian buys everything Tika recommends, is that on the 9th of May 2005, Tika Tawari was struck off by the financial industry regulatory authority and barred from ever acting as a broker or otherwise associating with a broker-dealer firm. Which is an odd thing not to mention about the guy you're promoting as the number one most trusted expert in cryptocurrency. Well, I don't know. That should really go at the top of the CV for a crypto expert. That's good stuff. I got deplatformed by finance. That's a winner. <laughs> by the financial regulators. I feel like being the most trusted crypto expert should be like being the most 
honest three-card money dealer, right? It's still not a good thing. <laughs> mm, absolutely not. And then there's Jeff Brown, who is described by Rawls as, quote, a Silicon Valley legend who, quote, helps regular folks learn how to profit from the top tech stocks. All the stuff that Jeff Brown does, Brian Rawls, is talking about these time delay stocks that you buy them and then they will definitely 100% come to fruition in this certain amount of time. And you will definitely make money because they are set on a timer to make money at a certain point. Ah, it's a profit fuse. Yeah, I've heard of that. I remember studying that in economics class. (laughs) <laughs> but in October 2013, Jeff Brown was barred by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission from ever acting as a broker or investment advisor or otherwise associating with firms that sell securities or provide investment advice to the public. And we know why that is, because in August 2011, he pled guilty to conspiracy to commit mail fraud, having defrauded <laughs> investors and obtained money and property by means of materially false and misleading statements. He pled guilty to that. Hmm. I mean, given the scams that Rose and his friends have pulled off so far... I assume he made $8 million by sending old people an envelope that said, fill this with cash and send it back, please. <laughs> yes, yeah, the Peter Popov scam, absolutely. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and all of this was actually published in an article for the UK newspaper, The Mirror, in 2021, after I tipped journalists off to some of the stuff that I'd seen. Wait, seriously? Yeah, yeah. Nice work. <laughs> yeah, but, well, it was nice work, and then the article mysteriously disappeared quite quickly. Some would say it's because Brian and his lawyers have been in touch with the newspaper, but that would be a very weird what? move for a guy so completely committed to free speech. Huh. Well, it sounds like you could sue him for war crimes in the European Court of Human Rights, Marsh. <laughs> yeah, the crowdfunder starts here. $250,000, and I promise I will do that. I promise yeah. <laughs> I will do that. So now Brian Rawls is running is busy running his decentralized finance academy, explaining to people how to invest in cryptocurrency and promising, quote, the keys to a nine trillion dollar marketplace and a four week course at the DeFi Academy costs two thousand four hundred and sixty seven dollars. <laughs> OK, I actually looked this up. DeFi is decentralized finance. And according to Brian Rose, it's a blockchain based form of finance that's growing at, quote, Quantum levels. <laughs> and huh. it's going to be, quote, the greatest dislocation of wealth in human history. Okay, so, you know, only $2,500 to learn about that. <laughs> Maybe he means it's quantum in the sense that when you look for your money, it won't be there? Because I believe that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, but you will at least be able to see how fast you lost it. So that's right, exactly. <laughs> and your cat's dead for some Your bank account might be a dead cat. <laughs> yeah. So this is a business that he's currently pushing very, very persistently. In January alone, he sent out at least 55 email campaigns to get people to sign up. And I know that because I signed up for his Brian for Mayor campaign while he was running for Mayor, which very quickly got wrapped into his mailing list for all of his other business ventures, as if the run for office was like little more than a stunt to find more people he could promote his get-rich-quick schemes to. That's what it feels like. So 55 emails in January alone. (laughs) And then his sixth interview, the most recent one with David Icke, was just littered with adverts for the DeFi Academy. Anybody who signed up to watch it were quickly added to this mailing list and sent all these daily emails about the DeFi Academy. In fact, given overview of Rose's various business interests, it's kind of hard not to view most of his online activities and free speech champion rhetoric as essentially a sales pipeline, where the products are his pricey self-improvement courses and his questionable investment connections. And then to sell those products, he needs to get as many people as possible to see him, impress them with a vision of success that he projects, and then whittle them down to the people who are just persuaded enough to spend thousands of pounds on for some of his reflected glory. Okay. So given everything you just told us, how would you describe 
Brian Rose more generally, like anti-vaxxer, conspiracy theorist, rabid octuple Windsor activist. What, what would you say is <laughs> top line title? Yeah, so I don't know if it's fair per se to call Brian Rose an anti-vaxxer and a conspiracy theorist, but I think it's definitely fair to say he's willing to play one on YouTube and that <laughs> he's willing to give space to pretty much anyone to air their worst health advice as long as he can use that to bolster his reputation as a passionate defender of free speech as long as that speech doesn't involve any criticism about the stuff that he's selling. <laughs> right. All right. Well, with another asshole the in the book. Too. That's cool. I yeah, am doing the outro. Awesome. I'm in charge when Noah dies. Yep. Thank you. Nope. All right. Andrew, well, <laughs> that's not. With another asshole in the books and Heath and I with a lot more business ideas to try out, we'll thank Marsh for subbing in this week and we'll see you next time on Whomst bullshit is it? I'm in charge when that happens. I'm in charge when no one I'm dies. in charge when that happens. Please keep me boomy. This voice counts. Boomy is... I'm the boomy one. This counts. One. We will keep doing this forever. Boomy. I will not stop boomy playing voice. this game. I want in on boomy voice. Boomy voice! I am in charge. Don't give Mar Morgan, if you give Marsh the fucking boomy voice, I'll kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> Before we slice the roast beast tonight, wanted to give you a heads up about all the different places you can find us that aren't these shows. I recently wrote a very silly piece for The Skeptic called I Am the Ghost That Haunts the Drovers Inn and Brian Ego Owes Me an Apology, for which you'll find a link in the show notes, or you can just Google I Am the Ghost That Haunts the Drovers Inn. Anyway, that's all the blasphemy we've got for you tonight, but we'll be back in 10,022 minutes with more. If you can't wait that long, be on the lookout for a brand new episode of our sister show, The Skeptocrat, debuting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time next Monday. An even newer episode of our sister show's hot friend, God Awful Movies, debuting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time on Tuesday. And an even newer episode of our half-sister show, Citation Needed, debuting at noon Eastern on Wednesday. We also play D&D &D on our half-sister's brother's cousin show, D&D Minus. And hey, even if you don't play D&D... Give that one a shot. It's it's really silly fun, and I think you'll like it even if you don't play. I also want to thank Heath Enright for reaching the high shelf of comedy each and every week. Michael Marshall for hitting a home run on his very first at bat. Lucinda Illusions for making Noah take a vacation at gunpoint. And, of course, no illusions for believing her when she said that gun is loaded. I also want to thank Ayn Rand for providing the Farnsworth quote this week. Weird use of our time machine, I know, but we're committed to the bit. But most of all, of course, I need to thank this week's new patrons, which... Noah went over with me again about how to look him up, and then I, I forgot again, and then I figured it would be better for me to skip it and have him do it next week than for me to mess up your name or compliment your genitals wrong. Together, these unnamed heroes gave us money for drugs, scotch, and my baby, respectively. If you'd like to give us money, you can make a per-episode donation at patreon.com slash scathingatheist, whereby you'll earn early access to an extended ad-free version of every episode. Or you can make a one-time donation by clicking on the donate button on the right side of the homepage at scathingatheist.com. And if you'd like to help but you misheard me just now and you're afraid you'd be supporting giving drugs and scotch to my baby, you can leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or... Tell your friends about the show. Seriously, that second one is like 90% of how we get new listeners. So do that, please. Legal services for this podcast are provided by the law offices of P. Andrew Torres. Tim Robertson handles our social media. And our audio engineer is Morgan Clark, who also wrote all the music used in this episode, which was used with his permission. If you have questions, comments, or death threats, you'll find all the contact info on the contact page at scathingatheist.com.
like that you uh you give us some spiel into the five count. No goes into the five count cold. Yeah, you know, right sometimes away. I'm not quite ready. It's it's <laughs> it's you know, you, you warmed us up. It was nice. There was a little bit of five count four play going on. Well, yeah, you know, just a tip. Tease it. <laughs> All right. Morgan comes too. I was I was about to say, oh Morgan, and then I forgot. I didn't tell you. Yeah, but Morgan comes to Matreon too. Right, he comes to Matreon. That makes sense because we were talking about five count four play, just with him, <laughs> and then Morgan comes too. And I thought, well, yeah. you know, I mean, he's in the right business for it. If that's his thing, he's absolutely in the right yeah. business. Yeah. For you, it. you guys will be sharing a bet. Yeah, so that, I figured. <laughs> Morgan, Morgan can uh, drive here as long as we clear off the terrorists from that bridge by the time Megan. <laughs> he's in t- Toronto. I think Trudeau's going to do it with a bulldozer any day now. <laughs> the question is, how do we get Ayn Rand and Melania into the They thing? have to show up in the same place. Oh, that's going to happen. You have, it, it's, it's done. Okay. I'm very happy. It's like the first time with Melania again. Just <laughs> get manscaped and manly bands yeah, yeah. and Melania. She's taking a very thin shit. Very long, very thin shit. I don't even know if that, that was the bitch, first one. That bit's missing on me, and now I'm confused. <laughs> In one of the At early one point, Melania sketches, a she specifically takes a very long, very thin shit as part of it. Gotcha. I, I would have heard that, but it wouldn't have stuck in my mind quite as much as you guys <laughs> in writing it, I imagine. <laughs> When, when you're that deep into your own law, into yeah. your, like, into your own, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. the, the world building, it's just remarkable. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm deep into it's that easy particular to sit outside and. Shit. Get mad at Stephen King for writing, you know, a 90 book series that all connects to each other. But <laughs> fourth time they ask you to make an evil lamp, you're like, you know what? Mm. Podcast diverse. Like, how many alcoholic writers can there be in men? Right? <laughs> <laughs> he's clean now, right? Is he sober? I think he's not on pills anymore. I don't know. Mm. That he's I mean, he's an expert fiction writer, so there's really no way for us to know. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's good. He's good. He's, he is what he is. <laughs> Fair enough. He killed a guy. All right. I'm just, you know, wondering how, how much day drinking I, I should be doing right now. Okay. Here we go. I'm a lot like Stephen King. Pretty much the same. But I've always said <laughs> the same guy. I think you undershot that order in terms of I think sugar. I actually did, yeah. <laughs> I think he has more cream and sugar and probably cum than you said. Yeah, way more cum. Way, way more, more cum. cum. Mm. Why do they all gather in the back to make my coffee? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody always yells, I win, and then they hand me a cup. I don't know. <laughs> ah. Nope. Nope. That was bad. That was a bad ah. Marsh, you made me nervous. Yeah. <laughs> don't blow this in front of Marsh. Stupid in front of Marsh. That's why we don't get invited to QED anymore. Don't you just show up? A, weird cousin. It's ah, Thursday like a fucking <laughs> child. Yeah, we, we've actually had a QED every one of the last two years. We just <laughs> <attended> <laughs> <you> <laughs> they just hide it from come. specifically us. That's fair. <laughs> and third ad here. Um, What's this one? This is our third sponsor this week. <laughs> we Have you not read this one, Heath? We don't have a third sponsor this week, Eli. Oh, we have a third sponsor. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. Where would it go in the um? Just read the, the lines, show? Heath. That's up to the editor to figure out. <laughs> Morgan? Is this going to be... Put this in in the middle. Coupon Craig all over again. This is not Coupon Craig. I'm spiting a different cast member this okay. time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this, so this is additional ad that doesn't really fit into the schedule that we have for the show. I don't know where Correct. we'll put it, but it's a thing we're going to do apparently. Morgan, mm-hmm. great. 
Correct. Yes. That means we're invited to QED. That's official. You heard that, right? That's right. He technically invited. built into what he, he said. He read the line yep. I wrote out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm just gonna have to talk to the rest of the board a second. I'll be, I'll be right back. Just turns to a mirror, shakes his head at himself. <laughs> it's not looking good, guys. It's not looking good. <laughs> he ducks behind the counter, pops back up. I'm the manager. No. Hello. <laughs> we could make water bottles. I was talking to our merch guy because he, he wants us to do water bottles. He gets really good to you. We could make water bottles with Marsh's face on them that says Marsh's cancer curing CBD water. Okay. Give them out. That's fantastic. I feel like you definitely need my consent to start putting my face on your merch. We mm, definitely do not. Really read the skit. You already said it. <laughs> That's a contract. Andrew? Lock it in. Andrew? Morgan? And Marsh, you all good? You're on record? Oh, all good. I, you, you're consciously doing the foreplay thing now. If you, uh, I just, so, if we, <laughs> what? I didn't. <laughs> Stupid. Let's get count to five together. <laughs> Everyone likes a considerate horse teeth. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Positive. I'll count. I start. One. We never clicked in and out of Zencaster. Is it really recording? It is recording. So it's just straight recording this whole time? Yeah. Okay. Give the patrons Marsh teaching you how to jam words. <laughs> Morgan? Morgan, you know what to do. Morgan, save that 75 minutes of he's learning what a jam is. It's <laughs> gold. Yeah, where Eli's uh, audio line is suspiciously flat as he does not care about pretty much any of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to chime in. I tried to chime in. Did you? It's been seven years. <laughs> the preceding podcast is a production of Puzzle and a Thunderstorm LLC, copyright 2022, all rights reserved. Warning, the following podcast contains warnings. This week's episode of The Scathing Atheist is brought to you by Honey and by the secret checks that George Soros gives us to pretend we like human rights. And now, The Scathing Atheist. Hi, I'm I.C. Zorro from the All Things Nerd podcast. I am in no way speaking for the thoughts or beliefs of my other podcast members. But come on, you know we all evolved from filthy monkey men. It's October 29th. And it's Internet Day. Huh. Yeah, so go out there and rub your nodes together, everybody. You've <laughs> earned it. I'm No Illusions. I'm Eli Bosnick. I'm Heath Enright. And from G. Gordon Liddy's, New Jersey, Cincinnati Swing State, and Good Husband, Georgia, this <laughs> is The Scathing Atheist. On this week's episode, Donald Trump converts to whatever kind of Christianity will vote for him. Steve Bannon continues his under-indictment tour while he still can. And we'll provide you with even more holidays to cancel next month. <laughs> but first, the diatribe. All right, just shy of eight years that we've been doing this, and I've had an original diatribe for you every single time. Yes, Eli and Heath have chipped in and done a couple here and there. But regardless, you've always had new content every week for 401 weeks in a row. 
but I'm about to break that trend today. Right? Because this is the last episode we have before Election Day. And if there is a single person out there that could vote who isn't planning to, that I could still talk into voting, it is a moral imperative that I do everything I can to make that happen. So this week, I want to replay a diatribe from four years ago. I want to remind you what it was like for us. But we all woke up feeling like that day because, the, you know, the mind does its best to block out trauma that bad. So you might not remember it as well as you think. So here it is. This is the first diatribe I recorded after we learned that Trump was going to be our president. Or this is most of it, at least. It was so funny on Tuesday. Tuesday was so funny. You, you were you were probably in on it. I, I mean, I know a lot of you were, but for the rest of you, I'll I'll, t- I'll tell you guys what happened. So, Eli was mad at me for eating the last devil dog again, and you know Eli, he started a prank war. And what he did was he hired all the guys from CNN and MSNBC and Fox News, and he had them record hours of presidential election footage, but like you know, as if Trump had won. And then, and then, and then he hacked into my cable and made a whole different internet that corroborated all this, like, Trump's gonna be president nonsense and rerouted all my devices to that. And I'll be honest with you, he almost got me. I almost believed it. And then, of course, I realized how infinitely more likely that series of events was to the alternative explanation, namely that the election for the president of the United States of America was just won by Donald wall-building, Muslim-banning, disability-mocking, climate-change-denying, fat-shaming, pussy-grabbing, Franken-Cheeto Trump. I mean, seriously, guys, gals, what in the monkey shit just happened? Donald Trump is going to be president. That will always have happened. Right. We will never make up for that. If every American went out tomorrow and cured a different strain of cancer, we would still be the country that elected Donald Trump to run it. This shit's going to be in history books. Our great, great, great grandkids are going to know about this and they're going to tell them that we already knew about the pussy grabbing shit before we elected him. I mean, remember back when I was going to do jokes about the president having a vagina? (laughs) I was going to come out and I would say like more like over office and then you would laugh and we would move on to other shit. It was a simpler time. A time when we so radically underestimated the per capita stupidity of America that we never took the words President Donald J. Trump seriously. You know, we just went through an election where one of the candidates would literally just make up whatever number he wanted, attach it to whatever problem he wanted, and then just carry on. And as we speak, four out of every two black people in Chicago is being murdered. And it doesn't fucking matter that even the most conservative media outlet you can possibly take seriously is saying, well, yeah, that's bullshit and it doesn't even make sense. Sorry about that. Because apparently the majority of voters don't care what's true. 
They live in a world where global warming is a myth and Jesus is going to save them. And their biggest concerns are the mind control powder on their juice box lining and the yoga mats they put in Subway bread. And while I'll admit that this isn't the worst thing that's ever happened in all of human history, I feel like it's a pretty solid contender for the stupidest. It could lead to the worst. We've been running around here pretending we're smart enough to keep doing democracy even after the George W. Bush re-election thing. You know, we were all like, no, look, we did a black guy. He's a lawyer. He knows smart words. And we fooled ourselves into thinking we could be trusted around voting booths again. And make no mistake, if you're looking for somebody to blame, look in the fucking mirror. Because when things are this fucked up in a democracy, it's too late to blame the candidates. You have to blame the electorate. And no matter how much you did, you obviously didn't do enough. So, yes, I am talking to you, too. Unless you're one of our non-American listeners, in which case I'm just glad you haven't stopped hanging out with us. I, and, and, and I apologize in advance for bombing your country when one of your late-night comedians makes a joke about our president's sexual assault bravado. I mean, I'd love to just point at somebody and be able to say, like, yo, it was all the, uh, it, was, it was the Christians or whatever. And then we could gang up on the real culprit. But in a case like this, there is no one real culprit. And pretending there is is isn't any way to solve problems unless of course those problems are voter turnout in the rust belt in which case it works just fucking fine look the real problem here is that we're a bunch of spoiled brats that have lived in a democracy that could essentially function on cruise control for a couple of decades we bitch about the system without realizing that we are the system now and despite all the evidence to the contrary we trusted americans not to do the most stupidly self-destructive thing they could possibly do now, don't get me wrong here. I am not trying to tack onto that tired trope that says we're all equally to blame for the 60 million people who actually went to the polls to vote for a misogynistic, white supremacist, sexual assaulter. There are certainly people who bear more blame than others. And if you happen to see a frightened white man pining for the days when brown people were easier to subjugate internationally when you looked in the mirror, you deserve way more derision than the guy who's thinking to himself, you know, I could have taken Ted to the polling station. Ted liked Hillary. Fuck. But when something is this broken, it is everyone's fault who has the remotest chance of fixing it and hasn't done that yet. I never want to do that again. Please vote. Make sure the people around you vote. Take people to the polls. Take people who are waiting in line at the polls, water and snacks. I don't care if you live in a swing state. Just make the fucking numbers that much more overwhelming. Do whatever it takes. Please I don't have four more years of this in me. They're talking about your Jesus. Interrupt this broadcast bring you a special news bulletin. Joining me for headlines tonight are the vote and vote to my vote, Heath Enright and Eli Fossick. <laughs> Fellas, how about that? Having already voted. Voting? Ooh, yeah, good stuff. <laughs> I, you know, I am a millennial, took a team of horses, nine stamps, 11 tries, but we did it, damn yeah, it. We yeah, you got it. Did Nailed it. it. <laughs> well, you know, I'll tell you what, I'm a white straight guy in Georgia, so they actually, the state came and picked me up. You know, took me to a <laughs> golden, it was nice a of Brian golden... Kemp to drop by. Yeah. <laughs> Block some other people while you're on the way. Yeah. Good times. My vote counted so much more than it's ever counted before. It counted. It counted in a yeah. presidential election. Oh, yeah. Right. I've been voting yeah. in New York my whole life until this year for presidents anyway. So, somehow mine counted voting in Georgia. Yeah. Yours, yours counted. You're in a swing state, man. What, what are the odds? All right. So let me bring the mood down a bit. In our lead story tonight, skepticism lost one of its best last week. The news broke right after we got done recording last week's show that James the Amazing Randy 
MacArthur Award recipient, bane of charlatans and hucksters, and godfather of skepticism, died last Tuesday at his home in Florida at the age of 92. Yeah, and he's in heaven right now proving heaven mm. isn't real. Okay, all right, we'll give him that. So Randy was, of course, most famous for publicly humiliating con artists like Uri Geller, who secured a government contract to bend spoons with his mind, and Peter Popoff, who made his living promising terminally ill cancer patients that he just burned away their tumors with his prayers. And for his million-dollar challenge, wherein Randy would offer $1 million to any purported psychic who could do even the barest kernel of anything <laughs> psychic. They could not. Yeah, yeah. needless to say, he died with that million bucks still in his pocket. Yes, he did. And that fact will continue to get people making claims about psychic magic to shut the fuck up forever. I've used yep. that several times. That people are just like, oh, yeah, nobody ever got that million? No. Fuck. Yep. And I should point out that it actually wasn't just psychics. All you had to do was say what kind of magic powers you had. And do it. Yeah. You didn't have to be saying you could, and one lady did, claim the ability to make people urinate. And if you managed it, you got one million dollars. Oh yeah, no, by the end of it, I, if I'm not mistaken, he would give it to anybody who could tell if they were listening to something through monster cables. <laughs> it was pretty amazing. <laughs> now, James Randi was very clear about his wishes. When you live to be 92, you get a lot of chances to articulate your death instructions. So we will not be saying that James Randi passed away. We won't be instructing him to rest in peace, and we definitely won't say he's gone to a better place because he said that he didn't want anybody to say that shit. He said he wanted people to say James Randi died. Uh, so James Randi died. James Randi died. And as for his mortal remains, he also left very specific instructions with regard to them. This is a real quote. Quote, I want to be cremated, and I want my ashes blown in Uri Geller's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Still making me laugh. I love you, dude. <laughs> and in bad news, good news news. Televangelist, host of the 700 Club and Keebler Elf that uses the Ark of the Covenant as a night mask, Pat Robertson, <laughs> has spoken to the Lord our God, has the results of the election, and spoiler alert, they're mixed. On the downside, Donald Trump will win the presidency. But on the upside an asteroid will hit the Earth and kill us all. I feel like you just said the same thing two ways, but fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, here's the deets. According to Robertson, Trump is definitely going to win, but it will lead to massive civil unrest, and there will be at least two attempts to assassinate him. Now, I don't have the heart to break it to Pat, but he might have accidentally been given the ability to tell the past by our <laughs> Lord and Savior. <laughs> Unless we assume all those guys who've jumped the fence and tried to get to the White House with a gun were doing it because it was a gift for Donald. We well, don't know. Right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on. At one point, his own coronavirus response was an assassination attempt. <laughs> <laughs> Just doing spin moves around the Secret Service. I'm going to inject him with bleach because I'm a patriot. I'm a patriot. <laughs> stop, try, stop it. Get up. Stop trying to tackle me. <laughs> don't let fear dominate your life. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, after the assassination attempts, it's pretty standard apocalypse stuff. Islamic nations are going to use all the civil unrest in America as an opportunity to attack Israel, who will beat their asses and usher in a time of great peace. And just as we're enjoying all that great peace, an asteroid will hit the earth, end times, sword mouth Jesus, the whole bit. So, yeah, that all seems unpleasant. So you should definitely vote for Joe Biden this coming Tuesday to prevent it. Yeah. 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 But on the bright side, 
even if this were 100% true and we knew it, you know there'd be an undecided voter on CNN talking about, yeah, asteroids are bad, but there's still Hunter Biden emails. Yeah, right. I mean. Right. Yeah. Oh, my God. How the fuck does that asshole outlive James Randi? Fuck. Charisma. Oh. And in person's front of Judea news. Fantastic. Donald Trump is officially no longer a Presbyterian. Mm. And instead, he's a non-denominational Christian. Wait, what? Apparently, <laughs> apparently those are meaningful <laughs> words to some people. Some sort of distinction's been made. You're probably thinking, wow, this is the dumbest piece of news ever. Who the fuck cares? Who the fuck cares? Exactly. Thank who you, the, Yeah. Well, it's two groups of people who actually care. First of all, big congrats to the Presbyterians. They are pumped. <laughs> yep, they care. There. Great work. All the denominations, really. <laughs> but... <laughs> but this also matters a whole bunch to American evangelicals, many of whom don't like to have a specific name on their church, like Presbyterian, because I guess it connects them to, like, communist European stuff, like Marxist Scotland of the 1500s. So <laughs> now Donald Trump is officially from the Church of God, Guns, Grits, and Gravy, and strip malls, and segregated bakeries, and... The eagle wings that snapped off the lion in the book of Daniel and formed America in the yep. Bible. He's an Americristian, and it's official. Yeah. Can, I mean, can you undenominate? Like, I don't, I don't think that's, that's a thing, man. Hey, look, if, he seems to if anyone can take their ball and go to your house, it's Donald J. Trump, people. <laughs> yeah. So we learned about this very important distinction between brands of white and wrong, thanks to the Religion News Service, who sent a religion quiz to the president via his spiritual advisor, Paula White. And apparently question number one said, any chance you're more vaguely, specifically American Christian now, just like all the voters, that we really need to vote like twice and also block a person of color if we're going to win? Is there any chance that happens? Yeah, well, turns out he is now. Huh. Weird. More vaguely, specifically American Christian. What parts of Presbyterian doctrine did he abandon? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Speaking of which, when asked for his opinion about the biblical stance on helping refugees, also part of the quiz, Trump responded, pass. Huh. <laughs> Weird. You know, that was also his answer when asked the difference between Presbyterian and non-denominational Christian, as it turns yep. out. Oh, I want to read every single answer he gave on that quiz now, right? It's just name, whatever it is you people like. Age, I love Jesus, great guy, vote for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. in person, man, can. Yeah. Except he cheated off. So he got somebody who, who can speak and write to yeah, write his answers. He cheated for off him. Paula yeah. White. <laughs> yeah, he, he definitely cheated off Paula White. And just for the record, that refugee question from the religion news service was very specifically about trump breaking his promise to help christian victims of persecution oh yeah yeah uh -huh. just the christian they're cool with all the muslim refugees that he denied and you know, uh, the other religions like mexico <laughs> yeah they weren't worried about those ones either no, they didn't that. but the fact that he didn't save enough you know, Eastern Orthodox Christians from Syria was the problem, or Coptic mm -hmm. Christians from Egypt. That was it. 
Oh my God, is that a crucifix on the drowned body of that four-year-old? What a tragedy. Oh God, yes, yep. though. That's it, though. Mm-hmm. Wow. And uh, wh- one other amazing detail. When asked how Donald Trump lives out his faith, Paula White got a question here. She answered, he meditates a lot. <laughs> he meditates. He absolutely does not. But I cannot get the image out of my head now of Donald Trump Trying to sit still and be quiet. Yeah. Because that's amazing. <laughs> he would be the one man who would argue with the voice in his head until the voice in his head calls it a day. The, the monkey mind would give up on Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> and in fascism news tonight. Fantastic. Thank you. Just a quick reminder that even if we do manage to evict Trump in January, we're going to be cleaning up his mess at least as long as any of us are alive. And this week's reminder comes in the form of Christian nationalism basically being a denomination now. In case you're looking for one, Donald, they're called Patriot Churches. They are non-denominational congregations that rest on the historic narrative of David Barton, as well as the last remaining threat of the Johnson Amendment. Yeah, let's hope they take up bleach and sunlight as their communion, and this problem will solve (laughs) itself. All right, so quick reminder, Christian nationalism begins with the notion that America is inherently a Christian nation, but like Republican Christian. And none of this (laughs) namby-pamby, love thy neighbor, turn the other cheek, gay people are also children of God bullshit, okay? They have a denomination of GOP, yeah. Yeah, well, right, right, yeah. So it's, it's the byproduct of a bunch of Christian bigots realizing that they all seem to know way more about the bigot part than the Christian part, and... Figuring out that none of them actually showed up for any of the Jesus crap. So it's basically fundamentalist Reaganism with crosses. And thanks to a recent expose of the Washington Post, we know that they even have their own churches. Yeah, lots of them are actually called um, police departments. But yeah, they have the churches <laughs> yeah, actually. <laughs> so Post reporter Sarah Pulliam Bailey highlighted a recent service in Knoxville, Tennessee, in a church that was started with seed money from Greg Locke, by a pastor who handed his old church off to Matt Shea when he left. Matt Shea, yeah. the domestic terrorist, the yep. biblical <laughs> justification for war manifesto guy, just to be clear. That's the guy, mm-hmm. yeah. And the service is so blatant, it's functionally undutily doable, right? <laughs> the opening prayer included the pastor beseeching God to ensure, quote, Communism and socialism and transgenderism and homosexuality and abortion will not have their way in this land, end quote. Spake the Lord. Yeah, all (laughs) huddled maskless under a ceiling painted with a 60-foot American flag. (laughs) (laughs) That doodly-doo would get rejected by the universe of the doodly-doo. It would be like, hey, welcome to the doodly-doo. There's a room of... Homophobic men with erections chanting USA, USA. Uh, I guess there's no need to wonder what that would be like. What that would be like. What that would be like. Doodly do back to you. Why would you come here? See, yet another reason to vote for Biden, people. Think of the podcasters. Right? Joe Biden is satirizable. It will be possible for us to exaggerate the things he says and does for comedic effect. Yes, exactly. And in homophobic piece of shirt news. Much like a curious dog place, on a walk, classic. we here at the Scathing Atheist are always on a hunt for a new asshole. And this week, boy oh boy did we find one in Pastor Rich Pankoski, who made headlines for suing his school district after his 15-year-old daughter was sent home from school for wearing a shirt that said, homosexuality is a sin. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I bet he'd feel way different if somebody else at the school was wearing a shirt that said, Christianity is bigotry. Yeah. Which is would. really weird since that's what his kid's shirt said, too, in so many words. <laughs> oh, it did. I really need every other kid in the district to just wear a shirt that's like, fuck whatever that kid's name is. <laughs> is this okay? Do you like this? Allah's going to murder you because you deserve it. Is that okay? <laughs> Great. Huh? And if you're thinking to yourself, this lawsuit's obvious bullshit, it's never going to go anywhere, I would like to offer you a quick reminder that a student in Ohio wearing a shirt with the exact same message was given the okay by a judge in 2005 who called it offensive but protected speech. And now it's 2020, which is like four 2005s, people. Like four four to the. Actually, I see how you got there. And you know what? I hate it that I see how you got there. But I see <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. But Penkowski isn't stopping there. Oh, um, by the way, is he filing a lawsuit against Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser because naming a street Black Lives Matter Plaza violated the First Amendment by establishing the Black Lives Matter cult, which is a sect <laughs> of the religion called secular humanism? Is he is he also doing that? Yes, he is. That's the oh, guy. Jesus <laughs> yeah. Christ. He's actually not new. We've talked about him before. Anyway, he was saying we need to have a, you know, legalized pro-slavery t-shirt law about having school in school. You can have mm -hmm. pro-slavery t-shirts. That's yep. important for religion, yeah. freedom. Mm -hmm. Yes. And according to News Channel 9, quote, the suit claims the girl's rights were violated by the school, violating her freedom of speech, free exercise of religion, due process, equal protection, and rights under the Tennessee Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 2009. Jesus, another school on trial in Tennessee to see if we evolved from monkeys. <laughs> or, yeah, well, at least to see if the judge who hears this case has, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we have no idea how the court is going to rule on this. I mean, we hope we find a judge who's like, no, you're fucking stupid, but you never know. That said, in the meantime, since it was definitely this 15-year-old girl's opinion and not her dad using her as a political prop, I would like to officially invite her <laughs> On the show, the scathing nope, atheist. No, 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 no. You cannot invite a 15-year-old on this show. No, what? you didn't let me finish, Noah. To fight me. No, not better. No, nope, markedly worse. Yeah, I hate so, being the new worse. guy. And, well, I wonder why we even have the fucking whiteboard. We're going to take a break for a word from this week's sponsor, Honey. Uh, $25. Can't do it, no. Thirty. Uh, Mm. Guys, guys, which no. one of you guys put peanut butter all over my cat, Binky, and why is Heath standing in front of Eli's computer like that? Oh, hey, Noah, Heath and I were just shopping for deals. Shopping for deals? Shopping for deals, yeah. yeah. Pretty much all the shopping we do is online now, so we figured out a great system for getting deals. One of us shops, and the other one haggles like we were the computer. So we go back and forth. Why don't you just try honey? On Binky? Well, he was very scratchy with the peanut butter as it was. Yeah, so we figured, no, 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 scratchy, no, no, no. Yes. Honey is a free browser extension that scours the internet for promo codes and automatically applies the best one available at checkout. Wait, automatically? Automatically. Here's how it works. You get Honey on your computer for free in two easy clicks by going to joinhoney.com slash scathing. Then, when you're checking out at one of its over 30,000 supported sites, Honey pops up and all you have to do is click apply coupons. Wait a few seconds as Honey searches for coupons for that site. If they find working codes, it applies the best one to your cart. Wow, that sounds awesome. 
It's simple. If you have a computer, Honey should be on it. It's free, and it works with whatever browser you use. You can get it for free today at joinhoney.com slash scathing. That's joinhoney.com slash scathing. All right, Noah. We will try that for sure. Okay, so, but why did you put peanut butter on my cat? Yeah, I think we might have misunderstood something we read on the Internet. Definitely. I don't know if we That's it. I'm telling Lucinda. Don't, don't, though. A man wrote the Bible. A whore is what she wants. If it's a legitimate rape. It is a slut, right? Hey, cooking can be fun. Hey, I'm proud of a man. This week in Massachusetts. It's like Poland wanted to fire a warning shot across our bow. About two days before the Senate confirmed Amy Coney Barrett and ushered in a reversal of civil rights that stands poised to erase 50 years of progress, Poland sent us a stark reminder of what it looks like when you give right-wing government too much power when their constitutional tribunal effectively outlawed abortion across the board. Now, I should be clear that it's not like Poland was killing it on reproductive rights up to this point. Women's rights have been eroding there for years, and they weren't exactly starting at some golden age standard. But the already restrictive laws still allowed a woman to get an abortion if, say, the baby was going to be born with a severe genetic deformity that would make it unviable. Well, as of last week, that's illegal, too. There are still narrow exceptions in cases of rape and when the life of the mother is threatened, but who the hell knows how much longer that'll last. And if you think I'm exaggerating about how little regard the GOP has for women's rights, perhaps I should introduce you to Madison Cawthorn. Aside from sporting the whitest, most Republican name you can form with the human mouth, Cawthorn is running for Congress in North Carolina's 11th district. And this guy is beyond despicable. To begin with, he's a white supremacist who posted pictures on Instagram of his trip to Hitler's former vacation house, where he said that visiting it had been on his bucket list for a while. He also accused a reporter who was critical of him of trying to make it impossible for white males to run for office. And let me just say, it looks like he's killing it. But Cawthorn is also a raging misogynist. At least that's what several women who went to school with him say. Multiple women have accused him of sexual assault and verbally abusive behavior, including forcibly kissing them, reaching under their dresses, grabbing their thighs, just being a general piece of despicable shit, really. Now, there's a chance Cawthorn is going to lose his race even in a heavily Republican district. But even if he does, that's not exactly an exoneration of the party. The fact that he's even in the running is plenty to indict them on. And one last story I wanted to fill you in on. About a week ago, a story broke about a pastor peeing on a woman during a red-eye flight to Detroit. Now, we had very little in the way of details at first, just that it was a well-known pastor. And I don't know about you, but I've been dying of curiosity since the news broke. Well, we finally learned the specifics this week. It turns out the pisser in question was Daniel Chalmers of Love Wins Ministries. And it seems to have been a situation where he was on sleeping pills. He was barely conscious, and he thought he was in the bathroom. And I'm sure he didn't intentionally whip out his dick and start peeing on a stranger. But there's something about a pastor pissing all over a random woman without realizing it that encapsulates religion at least as good as any story I've ever covered on this segment. And on that note, I'll hand things back over to Noah, Heath, and Eli. Thank you, Lucinda. And in Pied Piperness, Christian apologist and Larry David body double John Piper took to the internet this week to let us know who he wasn't not voting for, maybe. Cool. In a blog post so boring and without substance that I can make fun of it and I have read my blog. <laughs> have you, though? 
Because spelling says other like you were, you were <laughs> We know you wrote it. That stuff's like public domain now, isn't it? <laughs> when was the last time? You know, yeah. like the happy birthday song? Me and me and Mickey Mouse, yep. <laughs> now, for those of you unfamiliar with Piper's blog, book, podcast, and I'm sure set of fucking commemorative plates, it's called Desiring God, which is disappointingly not nearly as pornographic as it sounds. And he brought us hot takes in the past, like Trump and Hillary should both withdraw from the race because they're both bad. Mm -hmm. So it should come as no surprise that last week his 800-page flip-flop boiled down to Trump is bad, but so is abortion. I know lots of Greek words. Yeah, or I can look them up anyway, yeah. No, it's, I, the, the entire thing is I'm not committing the atrocity. I'm just standing by and watching. So technically... <laughs> Yeah. Now, a generous reader might give Piper a bit more credit. I mean, he spends way more time on Trump in the piece than he does on abortion. And he even goes so far as to say, quote, I think it's baffling and presumptuous to assume that pro-abortion policies kill more people than a culture saturating pro-self-pride, end quote. OK. And just for the record, right before that sentence, he said Planned Parenthood is ethnic cleansing historically. I think he was trying to say Black Lives Matter, maybe? Is that, is that what he's trying to say? Literally the worst attempt physically possible at saying Black Lives Matter, but maybe he was trying? He described the Democratic platform as, quote, baby-killing, sex-switching, freedom-limiting, socialist overreach, end quote. Right, like, I, I appreciate you getting some of your poison in Trump's well, too, but I'm not giving you any credit for it. Yeah, exactly. But he never actually gets around to saying... You should vote for Joe Biden because we can't abort babies faster than Trump is killing people with COVID. Well, I don't know. I think we could. Yeah, right? that seems presumptuous of him. Yeah, get some sort of assembly line. Yeah. There. I don't know. Yeah, but the point is, fuck him, fuck John Piper, and fuck all my so-called woke Christian friends sharing this thing on Facebook like it's the think piece of the century. Fuck yeah. John Piper. No kidding. You have a bunch of woke Christian friends? I do. It's I I get in trouble with them because they talk about how much Jesus agrees with them. And I'm yeah. like, and then you talk and then I'm about like, anything on your mind. That's right. And then yeah. they're like, you're mean. And I'm like, but it's a quote from the book. <laughs> <laughs> and it told you so news tonight. We have a quick correction from last week's show. Despite the theme of last week's diatribe being hey, let's not oversell this pittance the Pope has thrown to the LGBTQ community. In making that argument, I still somehow managed to oversell the pittance the Pope had thrown to the LGBTQ community. Because <laughs> I, I shit you not, they had deceptively edited the video to make him sound even that progressive. Yeah, but we still got a bunch of Catholic leaders who didn't know that mm -hmm. putting out panicky statements that were like, that's not what he meant. There has to be some hateful content. Oh, there was. Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, thank God. Oh, it was hateful. So, Anna? And cut. No freak out. Still bigots, false yeah. alarm. <laughs> exactly. Pope's still a bigot. Don't worry about it. They're not freaking. Yeah, so just a quick reminder. Last week, it was all over the news that a new documentary contained footage of the Pope kind of sort of half-heartedly agreeing that same-sex couples should have human rights. And while the mainstream media was falling all over itself to congratulate him for being slightly less bigoted than normal, we in the atheist community were pointing out that he said shit like this before and it never led to any meaningful reform. But it turned out we were righter than we knew because he'd said 
exactly that before. The video from the documentary was just a clip from an interview on Mexican TV where they had very deliberately cut out the words, quote, that does not mean approving of homosexual acts, not in the least, end quote. Right. So he was literally saying the opposite of what the mainstream media was praising him for saying. And I, I'm sure that now that they know all of this, those very same sources will be quick to condemn him with equal vehemence. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're never hypocritical. But this brings up the question, who told the original lie? Right? Because it's not the Catholics. Catholics were crazy about this. They wanted to correct it. Was it? I think it might have been the Pope's mom. I feel like it was the Pope's mom. <laughs> she likes the the hot takes. <laughs> And finally tonight, in bloaty McBloatface news, Steve Bannon's face is getting crazy. Yes, it is. Just insane. The the Sith Highlander look was already problematic, I would say. But now it's like he forgot to breathe out all the bees and he's getting stung from the inside, too. If you're religious, it seems like you couldn't possibly interpret his appearance to be anything other than a literal demon. Yeah. But that didn't matter to... Several thousand messianic gun cult Christians at the Rod of Iron Freedom Festival in Pennsylvania. <laughs> That's a real thing that happened. They gave Bannon a giant ovation after he gave a virtual speech about how the left is going to steal the election from Trump by by mostly voting. Mostly, but yeah. also, you know, we're gay and we're killing babies and we're going to take away their guns and they're a gun cult. Well, yeah, but little do they know, we've mostly just been aborting the tiny little Republicans. That's the Whoa. real cheat. Check the gene. <laughs> I got to say, part of the poetic justice I already see forming is that Trump and his administration are going to have to spend the rest of their lives around the people they despise. Yes. Right. He's going to have to hug them. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a guy who got into Christian music for the pussy, and I love watching the hate in their eyes. <laughs> so the cult is called Rod of Iron Ministries, and it's run by two sons of the Reverend Sun Myung Moon. Really? He's the Corrigian religious lunatic who came to the U.S. for his famous Orthodox Christian evangelism tour. Also made friends with Richard Nixon and the Bush family. Also got convicted for felony tax evasion. And founded the right-wing Washington Times. Busy guy. He's the guy. And now his kids are keeping that tradition going with their gun cult. They're actually called Rod of Iron because they think that phrase from the Bible was God's early advocation for the, the AR-15. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Armalites in the Bible, too. <laughs> and the chariots of iron is everyone's God-given right to a tank. I get it. I yeah, get it. <laughs> right. No, and, and the pillars of iron are the cages they put the babies in. It's all coming together, guys. It all makes sense now. <sighs> so the gun cult is standing by, I guess. And when I say standing by, I mean they're literally standing by early voting locations yeah. in Pennsylvania to wave around iron rods and say menace, 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 menace <laughs> from the legal distance just across the street. Yeah, which is admittedly harder to do through a coughing fit. But, but to be fair, though, <laughs> if anybody can wave around an AR-15 without looking at all menacing, it's going to be a Trump-supporting Mooney. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> and just in case anyone wants to learn some important principles of Christianity, Rod of Iron offers 
Biblical firearms training. What? For only $495 a person, you can attend a Red Dawn response course. Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's a real thing they do. You know, just in case the communist Antifa terrorist army ever takes over the United States like in Red Dawn. And according to their website, you'll learn... Shooting and moving with tactical rifles and pistols. Moving? <laughs> yep. Move. They teach you how to move while holding things. Yep. What and about while gum chewing, chewing things? Yeah, right. <laughs> yep. And it was it was tactical rifles and pistols, by oh, the way. Okay. Nothing about chaotic rifle work huh. or chaotic pistol work. Whatever. That's that's a two oh one course. That's a two oh one. You wanna call me Rod of Iron? Use that moving chewing to your advantage. You'll also learn sniper techniques, close-quarter battling, <laughs> urban and rural considerations, small-unit tactics, and the hard-target mindset that was capitalized in the website, the hard-target mindset. And if you have a kit or war belt that you want to work out of, it's welcome. You what can bring that. that. What? I have what no idea that? what that means, but it's terrifying because <laughs> that means a bunch of these people have something called a war belt that they like to work out of. Well, because if they call it a utility belt, everybody laughs at them. So uh. war belt sounds bad. <laughs> no one's going to laugh at me now. Wait a second. My cell phone's going off on my fucking war belt. I'm take out my tactical sunglasses from my war belt. It's not a utility belt. So moral of the story we are saving up, and we're going to ruin the next Red Dawn response. Yes. <laughs> also, for those keeping track, this is the second Christian Antifa preparedness course we've learned about this year. Yep. Racist homophobe coach Dave Dobenmeyer yep. runs one out of his Airbnb, <laughs> and now this. I am telling you guys, gun LARPing is to the Christian right as OnlyFans is to the atheist left. <laughs> we need to yeah. get some video equipment and, like, Sasha Cohen. That, I was thinking so the same hard. fucking thing, yeah. All right, so now that we know that heavily armed zealots training to respond militarily if they lose the election is a growing trend, we've got some ramparts to fashion. So we're going to close the headlines there. Heath, Eli, thanks as always. Jumanji. And when we come back, we'll remind you of how little 2020 you still have to suffer through. Thanks to COVID-19, a lot of us have had to cancel our normal holiday plans, which is a shame, unless shit goes bad on Tuesday, in which case you probably don't want to be around Uncle Frank anyway. But as ever, <laughs> we're ready to help with a few extra holiday options you might not be aware of on this month's Holiday Buffet. All right, so Heath, what do you got for us this week? All right, so I went with Tahar, also known as Deepawali, Yamapanchak. Swanti or just generally Nepalese version of Diwali. No, he stole my he stole mine. Nope. What we're commemorating. Much like the Indian celebration of Diwali, Tahar is a festival of lights. But Tahar is so much more interesting. So that's why I skipped Indian Diwali, which would be kind of boring to talk about. If somebody <laughs> picked that, that'd be kind of boring. <laughs> Candles, light, dark, uh, that one episode of The Office, uh, Kelly Kapoor, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But Tahar is a celebration of the four animals associated with Yama, the god of death. It's pretty great and just so much better than regular Diwali. Where it's celebrated. Nepal and parts of northeastern India. Is that where Nepalese Diwali is celebrated? Okay. 
when it's celebrated? It's a five-day festival that starts on the 13th day of the waning moon, and it ends three days later. What? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> in the Gregorian calendar, it happens in October or November. And for 2020, it starts on November 13th, and it ends five days later on the 16th. <laughs> Best aspect. There's an entire day just for worshiping dogs. It's the best. You you already have 365 of those every year. Where would you even put another one? <laughs> I don't know. They put five days into three days. So you cram okay, it. No, you figure it out. Okay. All right. <laughs> Worst aspect. It's associated with the boring Indian Diwali. Again, super, super boring. <laughs> Nobody cares. How it's celebrated. So, again, the festival is five days long. It's meant to honor four different animals. And the festival is three days long. <laughs> also, it's five days long. <laughs> so each of the first four days is assigned to one of Yama's animals. And the final day is for honoring people, the animals who invented religion. And on top of the animal theme for each day, most families celebrate by creating elaborate murals on the floor using colored sand and rice and flower petals. These are welcoming areas for the gods and goddesses that you want to show up at your house. And Kids go around from house to house asking for money and food, kind of like Halloween, except they sing and dance, which seems like a way better, like, much more competitive system, and I like it a lot. Oh, damn, the Showtime kids from the New York subway would clean up during Diwali. Oh, Showtime? I like that Heath's immediate thought is that he gets to withhold his candy from the kids if their dance sucks, right? <laughs> I'd give more if it was better, though. It's competition. <laughs> Two ways of saying there the same thing. <laughs> gotta have incentives. Starts to reach for the bucket of floss. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Do a flip, Bobby. Do a flip. <laughs> but the best part is obviously the animal themes. So day one is called Kag Tahar. And you honor crows and ravens, the messengers for Yama, the god of death. In order to ward off mortality for the coming year, people leave grain, seeds, and candy on their roof as an offering to the birds of death. Right. And keep in mind that this is India. So if you leave taffy or something sticky up there, guess what? Free bird trap. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So far, this, this holiday is way too goth for me. What else do you have? <laughs> okay. Day two is called Kukur Tihar. And this is the best holiday in the world. All dogs, whether or not they own humans, are worshipped for being the greatest life form ever created. Ooh. So all the dogs get some magic face paint on their forehead. Sweet. Called uh, Tika. They get garlands of marigolds. Sweet. And, of course, they get all the treats because of being good boys and good girls. And if you don't have a dog, but you walk around with a bag of dog treats that day... Nobody thinks you're weird, and you get to play with all the dogs. And the people have to let you. It's divine law. They have to let you play. You're not weird. Okay, Noah, I'm pretty sure Heath made up a holiday and a Wikipedia article so they'd stop calling him the dog guy at the park across the <laughs> mm -hmm. street. So, yep. <laughs> you know you can just have a dog, right? He's like, all the time, he was your dog. <laughs> I just, like, I have all the dogs. They're all mine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, moving on to day three, that's called... Lakshmi Puja, and the morning of that day is called Gai Tahar. Lakshmi is the goddess of wealth, and she rides a cow as a vehicle. Uh, so 
This third day is all about honoring the cow. I feel like the goddess of wealth could do better. <laughs> it's a sweet cow. It's like souped up. It's got a spoiler. It's a sweet oh, cow. Tesla cow. It's got Nas. Yeah. So you can summon cow. it like a Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> so the cow is revered in Hinduism for being a friendly animal that gives more than it takes. It has like positive plus minus. It produces milk and dairy products, obviously. It also produces urine and dung, well, which are useful. The urine is a medicine. No, it's not, but they think it is. And the dung is a fertilizer. It's also a great source of atmospheric carbon. So that's another plus. <laughs> so the cows get the face paint and the garlands like the dogs do for the dog day. And Lakshmi gets big uh, candle and light shows at every house inviting her to visit. Okay, but does anyone ever call my urine medicine and thank me? No. But we we do call you a great source of atmospheric carbon, though. We do. do. We do. We do. That's how they declare me on the taxes. <laughs> Eli's going to be banned by 2050. We're going to be Eli neutral. I think I think we're going to beat that, Heath. I think we're going to. Yeah, I think we got it. We, we, could pop, we could bump that up. Beat that goal. So, Greener New Deal. So, uh, moving on to day four. That's called Govardhan Puja. And the ox is the animal of the day. The standard ritual for... Vaishnav Hinduism is a veneration of both the ox and the holy Govardhan mountain. And you make a big pile of ox dung yeah. to represent that mountain, and you worship the pile. It's pretty um, fucking cool. Not to put too fine a point on it, but OG Diwali definitely wins on day four. That's kind of hard to imagine <laughs> how it wouldn't. I think this is why there's all that disagreement about whether it's three or five days. <laughs> <laughs> And finally, day five is called Bai Tika, which translates to the festival ended two days ago, but it's still going. This is when we celebrate humanhood, especially the bond between siblings. According to the legend, the goddess Yamuna's brother was dying. So Yama, the god of death, showed up to take the brother to hell. But Yamuna started stalling and just like <laughs> making shit up about face paint and marigolds and working Yama into the ritual and just trying to stall as best she could. The brother eventually died and went to hell, but I guess it took longer than normal. So on this final day of the festival, sisters do a protection ritual for their brothers, and then the brothers touch their, their sister's feet with their forehead. Hmm. And uh, I'm an only child, so I go fuck myself. Yeah. For my version, all five days are playing with the dogs. So whatever, <laughs> fine. Hey, Heath, you know, the big advantage to being an only child is that you could go fuck yourself, all right? You know, you took that shit for granted in your prime jerking off years. I just want to say. Oh, would you get would you get interrupted, like, if you're sharing room? Yeah, kind of thing? yeah, yeah. I didn't have any, like, private space as a kid. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Bathroom. You got to be on the shitter, like a married Yeah, people. but then there's somebody, like, standing outside there waiting for you to get done. Banging, yelling yeah. at you. Yeah. I, feel like I like that. Anyway. <laughs> adds, a, adds an air of competition to it. <laughs> exactly. I won. I think I won. And, Eli, what holiday did you pick for us this week? I chose original America David Barton Diwali. Boo, boring. So boring. What we're commemorating. The victory of light over darkness, good over evil, and knowledge over ignorance. So they canceled it for 2020. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> when it's celebrated. Ho, 
hopefully early this year on November 3rd, yeah. but <laughs> this year Diwali is for five days and definitely five days starting on November 12th. Where it's celebrated? India. And on that one episode of The Office. Best aspect. Candy buffets and fire hazards. Worst aspect. Religious sexism and badly managed fire hazards. Fire hazards. How it's celebrated. So Diwali, the original one, or for the QAnon fans out there, Deep Wally, is the five-day <laughs> Indian festival of lights, candy, floor rice, and whatever the fuck people have wanted to cram in there for the last couple hundred years. It consists of five days, definitely, each with its own theme, and it kicks major ass. Mm, derivative. Boring. This is embarrassing <laughs> for you. I can't believe you picked Diwali. Day one, or Don Terrace, starts out simply enough. People light traditional oil lamps near pictures of Ganesh and clean their houses. Women and children decorate the doorways with rangoli, which is what the colorful okay. designs... Just, well, you from, can't just like say the word with extra emphasis to make it sound exciting. But you didn't say about this. they're called rangoli. <laughs> Anyways, the boys and men decorate the roofs and walls of the family home, and it's not got nothing to do with birds. They just do it for, for funsies. <laughs> The day also marks a major shopping day to purchase new utensils, home equipment, jewelry, firecrackers, and other items. So, Anna, if you're listening, and I know you are, I am buying some useless kitchen shit on November 12th. And if you try to stop me, I'm telling everyone you're racist against Indian people. <laughs> I love that. Can you also pick me up some flatware while you're there? Somehow got rolled into the holiday. <laughs> day two. Or Narka Chaturushti nope. is where you release what? your ancestors from hell by eating a fuck ton of awesome looking candy called Mithai. Day three is Lakshmi Puhan and the peak of the Festival of Lights. Stores close early. Bosses give their employees surprise bonuses and gifts. Everyone dresses up in their nicest clothes and cities like hundreds or thousands of earthen lamps all over town to welcome various Hindu gods into their newly cleaned homes. I love that their gods are judgy. Bhuvaneswari <laughs> <laughs> just walks in, wipes a finger along your mantle. Durga comes in and you're like, oh, fuck. No. Oh, Damn. A lot of arms. Just doing all the mantles at once. That's impressive. I could never do Diwali. <laughs> Day four is Anakut Bali Pratipada which translates to mountain of food as opposed to ox manure. Communities prepare over a hundred <laughs> dishes in a massive citywide feast in honor of Krishna. People also traditionally offer gifts of salt to nearby temples. And this one came first, right? Like this, some Nepalese holy man was once like, but what if we used ox shit instead? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Day five is Baha'i Dush or Brother's Day and as Heath mentioned, it celebrates the sister brother, Rond. So for those of you who are patrons of God Awful Movies and listen to this month's bonus review of the crazy sexual and sexual crazy Species 2, you already know how important this fifth day is to Heath Enright. Oh. I don't, okay, I don't like how this is, I feel like it's getting built into this whole thing. Yeah. I'm t being taken out of context like the Pope, but like the op <laughs> I'm not a bigot. It's all right. Nobody gets this joke. What? I contextualize. <laughs> All right, and this month I chose the Nativity Fast. What we're commemorating. The last half or so of Mary's last trimester. Where it's celebrated. 
mostly Eastern Europe, but all over Christendom to different degrees and by different names. When it's celebrated. November 15th to December 24th, or if you're a heathen, it starts on November 29th. Unless you're a heathen barbarian, in which case it's November 28th. It's nice that D&D is making its way into so many different lives. Best aspect. The fact that Eastern and Western Christianity haven't really killed each other in mass over this. Worst aspect. The fact that I'm not sure whether to add yet to 